Authorized is on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash authorized pod if you want to support us. For $3 a month, you can help us buy these books. For $6 a month, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And for even more money, you can demand that we read and discuss a certain novelization. Pretty cool. If we get enough listeners, we will start putting out bonus episodes, so tell your friends. Authorized.com. It's not authorized.com. What? Patreon.com slash authorized pod. Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we bravely discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations have their work cut out for them. They are final entries in a long-running series. Not only are these books yoked with the responsibility of explaining what came before them, they also must contend with describing the visual saturation of a post-apocalyptic world. While watching a movie, you may see a big bloody hook and think, wow, scary. But novelizations do not have that luxury. They must describe to you what such a hook's function may be, as well as detail the atrocities it may have committed. (laughs) Novelizations are an enthralling exercise in which visual flourishes tossed in by video game developers in 1996 just because they look cool must be contextualized and justified, while the choices of the five preceding films are similarly parsed and patched together. Hannah, do I have permission to say this next part? I wrote it, but I won't say it if that's a problem. Uh, I think it's fine. What What would be wrong about it? Great. I just wanted to ask my co-host before I went ahead and tweaked our intro a little to say, we are your hosts, a loose trinity of novelization bitches. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My name is Andrew Overby. And I'm Hannah Blackman, one of the bitches. Also, there's there's often three of us, and <laughs> I was like, also implicitly, I'm like calling the guest one that's, of the yeah, trinity. <laughs> what inspired Great. the change on this book? The part of the book and the movie where, where uh, Isaacs looks at Alice, Alicia, and the Red Queen and goes... Oh, it's he says something like, it, it, your time has almost come, you trinity of bitches. <laughs> good. Okay, great. Yeah, I don't remember that at all, so this is Would have good. been crazy alarming if I just threw that in <laughs> on a random book. <laughs> uh, now that you've explained it, I feel much better about it. Um, can't wait to discuss uh, this book. Okay, so Resident Evil colon, the final chapter, is a 2016 action horror film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. It stars his fantastic wife, Mila Jovovich, as Alice, a put-upon, experimented-upon, and hopefully not feasted-upon former employee of the ever-so-sinister Umbrella Corporation. Having struck a tentative truce with her nemesis, Albert Wesker, a real piece of shit, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, in the previous movie, um, Alice abruptly finds herself abandoned and left for dead by Wesker's 
Continual betrayals. When the Red Queen, the AI embodiment of Umbrella, compels Alice to release a healing antidote to the world, our heroine must team up with old friends and new to determine if evil's residence will conclude an eviction or whether evil still has squatters rights on the planet Earth. <laughs> you should be proud of that, Andrew. That's really good. Thank you. I was really writing this being like, this one's not very good. I haven't like I haven't really found an angle on it. And then Pow, you tied a nice it. little bow. Yeah. The novelization of Resident Evil, the final chapter, was written by Tim Wagoner, based on the screenplay by Mr. Paul W.S. Anderson himself, based very loosely on Capcom's video game Resident Evil, and it was published by Titan Books in 2017. This, I think, is the first novelization we've covered. Uh, there, there are instances where we'll have one like Mean Girls, where the movie comes out in 2004, the novelization comes out in 2017, because it's some... Uh, move to get a new generation interested in Mean Girls. This, I think, is the first time that a movie came out in December. For some reason, the novelization didn't come out for like two weeks. Oh, well, so I can and- I can answer that a little bit because the the movie didn't come out here in December. Um, it came out like in Japan. I want to say it was a January movie in the United States of America, as as befitting like as it the, should be. Yeah, yeah. It's like a January movie par excellence. And I don't know if it came out in other territories besides Japan, but it drives me fucking crazy because, sorry, are you guys, is it okay to swear on this? Is it, is it, do it, okay. do it. I said Trinity of Bitches. I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah, fair. that's like, that's a TV 14 and that was, and I don't know, uh, I didn't know if there were levels. Uh, <laughs> so, um, how, how bad is this guy going to go? How far yeah, down are we well, going to go? I, mean, that's, that, I already said fuck, that's like, isn't that the, that's the TVMA right there. Um the uh, I can't believe I'm seeing it in TV ratings and not PAA, which is that feels like you a get one, you get one, and I'm not going to say the word because that's then true, yeah. R, but you, you can get still one F word, yeah, as long as it's PG-13, not 13, so. yeah, as long as it's not the, the verb uh version of it. Um, yeah, so this movie came out in Japan and it drives me crazy that IMDb or whatever else, uh, I mean, I guess it's fair, it's legit in this case because it did come out in theaters in, in another country first, but. It, it's like the IMDb curse of like something premiered at like the, you know, Bumble Bumblecuss Film Festival in in May 2015, and it came out in theaters a year and a half later. But for some reason, IMDb sticks with the festival debut. This is for, in my heart, and I think in the hearts of people who go see these movies in the United States anyway. It, this is a January 2017 movie, so it probably the novelization might have actually come out earlier in this country than it came out than the movie was in theaters i completely agree with this philosophy that it's immoral and upsetting (laughs) when imdb identifies movies as coming out the first time anyone saw them heathers did not come out in 1988 that just drives me up a wall (laughs) so here's the one that's currently bothering me is uh the the new the new film Uh on the count of three is Uh Oh, it came out at festivals in 2020. Yeah. And then whoever made that movie was like, we don't ever want to release this. And it just hit streaming a week or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. Perpetually listed as a 2020 film. Yeah. Very strange. For the Sundance people. Very weird. Yeah. Um, all right. So the thing about this episode is we do have a guest, which might come as a surprise at this point. Uh, our guest, uh, of course, from the New Flesh podcast, as well as the sportsalcohol.com podcast, Jesse Hassinger. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this novel and film. 
which I love one of. <laughs> I think that you might not only be a, a, a guest that's fun to have, but maybe a, a necessary asset because <laughs> I at least just experienced all of these movies for the first time. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm very confused. Now, do you have a relationship to this franchise, either movie or video game or both? Video game, not at all. I have never played a second of this game. I'm to understand <laughs> that the movies are not much like the game. Um, that's where my knowledge of that ends. Um, mm-hmm. But I, the movies, I, I have a increasingly an increasingly intense relationship with. Um, <laughs> I, like I don't know what's been <laughs> like. Because like the first one came out in 2002. I don't I didn't even see it in the theaters. It just looked, you know, it looked chintzy. Uh, but I did go see the second one for whatever reason. And it was just like just enough to get me out to go. OK, I'll go see the third one. And then like I re- started really liking them mostly. And the lifespan of this like 15 years of Resident Evil movies covers me being indifferent to fairly dismissive of the guy who made them. Uh, Paul W.S. The other Paul Anderson. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. to being like kind of a fan of his and a fan of the series in general. I can't speak to any kind. I'm not like a, you know, I'm not one of the five stars on letterbox for resident evil five people, <laughs> um, which de- who definitely exist and you should look them up, uh, including very small, like Vignani Vizhneski, who I, uh, wrote with at the AV club, very big fan of that movie and the, of Anderson in general. Uh, so I don't mean to d- dismiss that at all, but I'm not quite that, hardcore about it but i do really like these movies now i haven't seen them like you know i haven't seen like dozens of times or anything like i've seen probably this this last one is the one i've seen the most um and but so i'm not sure if i'll be able to i hope i'll be able to answer any questions it's very they're confusing (laughs) even if you've seen them before they're confusing but i do i do like them a lot and i've tried to try to you know address my own confusion so i hope that i'll be able to help It's sort of fascinating how people who like these movies can't seem to agree on which ones are the good ones. Yeah, yeah. Five is like the really the one that people seem to really love. And I when I even when I first saw that excitedly in the movie theater, I was like, no, this is like the worst one. Um, it's just it's hard. to it's, Who can tell is the is the expression four, five, six. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what which one's which I have a really yeah. hard time. <laughs> Um, and I watched them all re- like within the past year, and I still was like, I yeah. don't remember anything that happens in this sucker. Like I was reading this book, and I was like, this is totally unfamiliar to me. Meanwhile, I've seen the first movie like twenty times. I love the first one so much. So I should like this one, which is like a return to home base. And I'm still like, not enough home base. <laughs> did you see the first one? Like when it came? Oh yeah, I was just gonna ask Hannah. Yep. Did you see the first one? Like when it? I don't, you, I, I don't I don't know anyone's ages so excuse me did you see it when it came out or like do you see it on, on video or whatever There's like no way what I was saw your it in a theater when it came out um my brother is a big video game guy and he had played some Resident Evil I'm a little chicken boo so I have never played a video game that's scary um <laughs> So I think at some point, probably he rented it and I watched it with him and I was like, this is great. And also, I have a huge crush on Eric Mabius, <laughs> which I think like I was thinking about it earlier today. And I think I think the reason I saw Cruel Intentions for the first time is because Eric Mabius is in like 1.4 scenes. <laughs> um, so just to speak to the effect that the first Resident Evil movie had on my life. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I wa- saw the second one. And I was like, boo, no Eric Mabius. <laughs> Offended. Uh- 
I feel like that's not true, right? It is He's a true. character in the second he, not movie. Really. Come on, man. Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. Justice for Matt. That character is great. Um, and then, like, I think I was like, okay, well, then I'm done with this franchise. And eventually was like, fine, I'll go back. I love Mila. And I want to see what happens. Watched all of them in a row and just have, like, pfft, no memory of most of them. <laughs> and I, like, I think I had a good time watching them generally, but just nothing. Nothing stuck. I'm here to go to bat for four, which is the one that just starts with all the clones killing people with psychic yeah. powers and then becomes the we're in a high rise, but we need to fly a plane to a boat movie. The high rise yes. part is good, as I recall. I remember really yeah. liking the high rise stuff. Anytime these movies just really blatantly are like, we are going to do video game conceits. <laughs> you need to get from here to here. We're sending you on a fetch quest. That is actually when I find them most compelling because it's not like I'm emotionally invested, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's weird because Anderson has adapted so many games. I mean, that yes, when I say so many, I mean like two or three, but that's a lot for like a guy who's not made like tons and tons of movies. And I understand that pe people who really like the games get mad because he doesn't ever, you know, stick to the whatever the, you know, the video game thing is. I guess Monster Hunter, the most recent movie which of his with, with Jovovich, who's, ma who's married to, um, is great. And I really recommend it a lot. I think it's like his really best disagree. movie. Uh, no, 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 it, no Monster Hunter. I can't wait to be a tiebreaker. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's my favorite of his. Like, I think it's so good. And I, again... I had no idea about the games, but I know it doesn't have much to do with them. Um, mm -hmm. But it, but he does like video game plotting, like all a lot, like five, the Resident Evil five, which I'd never remember the names of which ones, which retribution five is retribution <laughs> there. Like it's a whole it's like it's it's fake uh, environments and respawns like it's it is entirely a video game movie, but apparently mm -hmm. has nothing to do with the actual video game that it's that it's or very little to do with what's actually derived from. So he obviously really likes video game stories and like the mechanics of games. As uh, so many other people pointed out, this is not my observation at all. He loves like mazes and like underground environments like Alien versus Predator has a bunch of like, you know, mm -hmm. they're in the temple and they have to go through the tunnels like that's a fun movie. Has it is a fun movie, and most of his movies, I would say, are pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And he has—he seems to really like video game imagery and video game plotting, even though I don't know that he plays any of these actual games that that he makes movies out of. I will say, I just <laughs> recently watched Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon City, which mm -hmm. everyone says is much more akin to the games and is like visually like they've recreated a lot of game environments and the characters are more in line with those. And I was just like, this is. Not as fun to me as like the mystery no, it, of what Paul W.S. Anderson's going to do because <laughs> it's just yeah. like people in a house shooting zombies. And I was like, that's fine. Yeah. But um, like, where's Alice, though? <laughs> like, yeah, I miss yeah. her a lot. <laughs> yeah, the, same. Let's same. talk about Alice. <laughs> I think that's a good way into this book. So starting at the end of the book, which is going to, of course, take us to the beginning of the series, there's a reveal at the end of this movie that Alice who woke up in the first Resident Evil and was told that some nerve gas knocked her memory out and that hopefully it would come back, and it just never did. Uh, there's a reveal that she is... Oh, my God, the names. Who's Al the one that's not Isaac? Alicia. Isaacs? Alicia, yeah. Alicia. But what's the... What's her, who's her father? Marcus, right. Yeah. Um, it's revealed that Marcus's daughter, that, that uh, Alice is a clone of hers, and that the Red Queen is also based off hers, a la the Trinity of Bitches. Um, <laughs> but 
what so what is she i'm like still confused after that reveal what was she doing before the events of resident evil one was she placed unconscious in a house she couldn't have been because she has that relationship with james purefoy which is genuine we have to like she was placed there as a security agent by umbrella with him posing as a married couple right Right, but are we? Do- I didn't like. This is that's a very. It's a, these are all very good questions. My my general my general understanding was that that relationship was beyond being fake in the in their mission was also probably fake in terms of they gave her some kind of implanted memory. Although if they did that, why wouldn't they give her the whole shebang of implanted yeah. memories? And like he that makes treats her like they used to bang. So. Yeah. Again, I've seen yeah. the first one a million times and I think about it all the time. So yeah. it's, it's bouncing around constantly. I just don't know what the what the point is to doing this to her. What, why do you put her in the house and tell her she was a guard and maybe she was? What's the actual plan for Alice that goes awry? That's a great question. I think the answer is that the clone shit shows up a lot later in the series. It wasn't part of the initial plan. Yeah. The clone thing gets really big in three. That's uh, I want to say three is the one that starts with the them doing Project Alice and they're they're like testing her and you see there's all the like corpses. A, there's like a pile of meals, yeah, in the in the desert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always something special about her that allows her to process the T virus in a good way instead of a bad way. Yeah. And whether that's because she's a clone or what. I know I'm not sure they ever fully answer that. But they do experiment on her because of that more and more and more. Right. Yeah. So the yeah. clone thing, we learned late in the series in the final installment that she is a clone. But before we know that, what are we supposed to think about? We're supposed the clones? To, to think that they were cloned from her. Why? She, <laughs> I think because she has whatever this, uh, resistance is to becoming a zombie where she where the t-virus affects her in, in a different way right is that why they're that, no I, definitely i think that's so. a wonderful answer <laughs> i think that's why they're they're cloning her is to see what they like yeah like you said to experiment on her uh the question to me is when it's sort of retcon but like in three or four when you know there's clones of her but don't think that she, but you think that she's the original when are you to assume the cloning started before the events of Resident Evil, yeah. after the Resin- Rens- events of How Resident Evil. How fast do clones grow? I mean, yeah, people are constantly yeah. popping up and being like, I'm a clone. I'm a full-grown adult. Yeah. The, the, the like, cloners on, on, uh, in Camino and Attack of the Clones, it seems like it takes way longer than, <laughs> than, than the, the way they're able to just, you know, keep those Alice's coming. There's, like, that whole giant pile of them. It seems like they'd have no... It's only 10 years that the whole series takes place across, so it's like... Clearly, they're able to crank them out. That's a reveal I need in Mandalorian season three. <laughs> is that the the Alice clones were ordered by Sifo Diaz? <laughs> oh my God, nothing would bring me more pleasure than Mila Jovovich showing up in Mandalorian, being like, "Hello, I'm in space. I dress the same way I always do in movies. I'm cool. I'm hot. I'm here to kick ass. I'd love it." She would be really good, actually, on those types on that one of those yeah, types of shows. Like they just they they had to they had to cut Gina Carano loose. So I feel like yeah, there's yeah, an opening. Yeah, she's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I really can't express enough how great I think she is in all of these movies. Like yes. she brings yes. so much heart to a character who could just be like a cold badass. She Alice like falls in love with everyone she's ever met. 
she's deeply <laughs> invested in all of their lives and survival. People she's met like two seconds ago, she's like, I'm saving you. And I love that about her. Yeah. The- that's exactly a, that was a, a takeaway I had from this book too. It's something about seeing her team up with Allie Larder, who had already been in a bunch but disappeared for a while, <laughs> and then like and some new people, and then she's got she's thinking about the girl from Retribution the whole time, even though she's basically not in the movie. I was like, look at this social butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when Alice is like, "Boy, what's the point of my life been?" It's like, "Girl, you made a shit ton of friends." Yeah, yes. people's lives. She That's was, enough. She was there to make friends. Just because she has always failed at saving her friends, like cannot save a single person, which is devastating. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's disorienting because she like doesn't ever. It's hard to keep straight both as a viewer and probably as the character whether or not you have immense superhuman powers or whether they have been <laughs> cr- cruelly taken away from you, which happens at least. 15 times probably <laughs> yes, actually yes. like twice but it's it it's, feels like they lot. do it a lot yeah i i just want to say that we've incredibly teed up my sign off for the episode in thematic ways i never could have predicted <laughs> so um, the yes yeah, speaking of the repeated plot beats of these movies oh, just off uh, just off the top of my head she gets superpowers but they're immediately taken away happens at least twice <laughs> Wesker is murdered. Yes. And then it, but and, and later on they'll they'll be like, "Oh, it was a clone." Whatever. Yeah. Like in the last movie there's going if you killed someone on their back, it was a clone. Stop <laughs> asking me questions. But around number 5, Wesker died in 4, and then he just shows up in 5 or maybe it's he died in 3, he shows up in 4, and they do not explain it. There's like Wesker's back. Yeah. Resident Evil 4, buckle in. I mean, in the same way at the end of 5, you're like, Alice has seven friends. She opened six. No friends. No explanation yeah. what happened okay. to them. I mean, the book yeah. gets into it. But yeah. the movie's like, yeah, you don't care, do you? <laughs> you didn't all beg for Jill Valentine to come back, and then we ditched her immediately. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, people love Jill Valentine, so it really feels like an especial fuck you to like... To, <laughs> it's, it was really weird reading the book because I had... I watched the movie, rewatched all the movies before the new one came out just for fun. Um, I, was, I, was, I was watching them with the fervor of someone who has been assigned to <laughs> and was not. And then my assignment was review the new Resident Evil movie, which does not require you to watch any other movies. Um, and then so I, and then I read the book recently and then last night watched the movie again because like i think Hannah, like you said like they don't really stick necessarily i really like them and i still don't remember which ones are the one where this happened and so i was confused reading the book i was like a lot of this is very familiar but i don't remember like this seems like more information that we're given but i if you had told me oh yeah this is in the beginning of six you just forgot <laughs> i would have i would have been like yeah yeah that sounds that sounds right that sounds right <laughs> um because all of these things also in terms of repeating stuff all of these things have not all of them but a lot of them have crazy mic drop endings Mm -hmm. that are like oh shit it's about to go down and then like at the beginning of the next one they're like so it kind of went down but anyway that (laughs) didn't really that didn't really matter like (laughs) there's also things that are new in the book that i like could very clearly picture like the maybe it's because anderson's like visual whatever is is very strong and so it's like the scene where wesker gets like shot in the head by the lady who's not anywhere in the movie period and then like reforms or whatever i was like i can picture that i've seen that i've definitely seen that i hadn't it's not there (laughs) 
which I think I guess speaks yeah. to like the consistency of the franchise that like I know what it would look like and that these are scenes I was like yeah believable I would love to see that in yeah. a movie. well it's such an interesting thing that he has to do here the writer of the novelization that you are taking these movies that are especially in the sixth one I remember reading about this when it was first coming out that it was oh Anderson usually shoots a very clean geometric like kind of almost in the fifth one kind of sterile uh action movie compositions and the sixth one's a little more handheld and like it I feel like at the time people were like oh this is even the people who like him were like oh this is too fast cut and like crazy it's like to me it's very easy to follow like, like Jesus like how old do you have to be to be like oh, I can't follow when the camera's moving <laughs> but like the it's it is weird to have to translate these crazy fast cut action sequences to prose. And you can see the, the Wagoner, the author making decisions about like, here are the parts where I'm going to slow it down and like really ex- like kind of make this seem like a five minute sequence where in the movie, it's like mm-hmm. 30, 30 seconds or less. And other parts where he just emphasizes something else entirely rather than the, you know, the build up to the action rather than the act of like, what's going on it's crazy how much i don't know is this too early to say what stuff about the book or no, go, go. it's Let's all it. plot all anything say whatever it's so crazy to me that the book the first 80 pages of the book which is like a full quarter of the book covers the first 11 minutes of the movie it is That's, insane yeah i haven't read a lot of novelizations like in a long i read like i remember getting the my girl one when i was a kid and reading that and like but i haven't read a ton of them do all of them have that weird kind of distending or like compressing of time in such a way? Not always. Or a lot of them? I mean, <laughs> there is a lot I of I think like, our favorite ones work. do. Yeah, I think the good ones are doing a lot of work to like get you in the world, set you up with the characters, like so you have like a background. When the plot kicks off, you're like ready to go. This one yeah. in particular literally has like 90 pages of shit you never ever see. <laughs> so like that's pretty unusual. <laughs> And I wonder if that was, like, written into a script and then it got cut because they couldn't get the actors or, like, God knows, like, would you really want to show up and play Leon Kennedy for, like, just to get eaten by a glob? Probably not. (laughs) I wouldn't. Um, Sounds expensive, too. There is an entire character in this book that does not exist in the movie named Danya Cardoza. (laughs) And... Okay, I'm going to tie in sort of, Jesse, something you said earlier, which is the the way these movies end, and they go, here we go, we're doing the big thing, eh, it wasn't that big of a thing, let's move <laughs> on, you know? But really, it's two different types of shitty endings. One of them is like, we're going to do it, I got all my clones, and we're going to kick ass, and then the next movie, it does happen, but for four minutes, and then yeah. the movie completely changes. Then there's the war crime that Resident Evil, the final chapter commits. <laughs> where the film, I'm talking about the film. It goes, okay, here's the deal. Alice is forced to team with her nemesis, Wesker, at our nation's capital to fight a horde of undead. As if this is humanity's last stand. This will decide yeah. who wins forever. And that's a movie. Like, do a movie of people fighting near the the Lincoln Memorial. Like, I'm in, I'm there. The, the, this last movie, it feels like you've missed a film. Yeah. Because <laughs> she, yeah. she is just walking around DC. DC's totally messed up. There's really not that many undead anymore. There's obviously been a battle and a bunch of things were killed. And it's really sloppy because even if you do that time jump and you assume, okay, they won the battle, there's plot that we straight up missed. Like the fact that at the end of the last movie, Albert Wesker gives her her superpowers back 
so that she can fight the monsters. And the new one starts out, and she's like, eh, it was a lie. He didn't really give me my powers back. But in the book, I think a much better choice, Wesker gave her her powers back, <laughs> and uh, they go outside some helicopter or giant, what it was, a plane is about yeah. to attack them. And Wesker's like, do the thing. And she charges up and uses, I loved the way it was described. It was a a fist of energy came crashing down on the helicopter. She obliterates these people just because they're in danger. And then basically goes, Wesker, who was that? And Wesker goes, I was like my rival at work. That's all I wanted you for. And also... You basically just had one load in you. You're done. You don't have any yeah. more superpowers. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's vaguely... Impl- it's not even... I think that's something that must have been in Anderson's script for the whatever he had written out for the sixth one. I, I do think... And maybe it's just skewed because I read the book right before rewatching the movie. The way she sort of papers over it was a lie. Like, that basically... That's, that's what she's talking about. It just, like, mm-hmm. is entirely... It makes no sense if you aren't aware that that happened... Unless you just want to assume you're just been jerked around by the Resident Evil movies long enough that you're just like, oh, okay, figures that, <laughs> that she doesn't have her powers. I get like why they don't keep her with the powers because not only will it be it, would that be expensive to depict, it's mm-hmm. also like it makes her unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Like she they, she's so ridiculously overpowered that if you do it for more than a sequence, it's kind of like who gives a shit. And I for whatever bizarre reason blame that on the fifth movie rather than the sixth. Just from the pure experience of being annoyed when I watched the fifth movie, even having affection for the way these movies continually end with some big mic drop and then just, you know, pick up the mic and take it off stage at the beginning of the next movie. Like we actually reason, need this. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We, uh, we didn't mean to. Yeah. We, we, just, we have a, yeah, we did exactly. We had, that's perfect way to put it. Uh, the fifth one, for some reason, bore the brunt of my irritation with that. Because I was like, oh, come the fuck on. Like, before the sixth one even started with the fifth one, I was like, of fucking course, they're deferring the cool battle to the next movie, just like the fourth one does at the end with a big battle on the boat. And the fifth one does open with kind of a cool sequence on the boat, but it doesn't last. And then it's kind of back to, oh, we're like revisiting locations from the other movies or whatever. And so I think I just got out all of my irritation with that when I was watching the fifth movie in in theaters in like 2014 or whatever it was. And then so by the time the sixth one started, not only had I forgotten <laughs> what the situation was status quo was supposed to be, I was also just like, okay, fine. Like, this is starting with Mad Max, you know, mm-hmm. she's like on a wasteland. And, and I was so into especially the first 45 minutes of that movie, just like because I like Millie Jovovich and watching her like do stuff on a motorcycle and like beat the shit out of guys and who try to put her in a trap and like a tank thing where she's like, forced to run out outside the tank and then like has to get the motorcycle all that stuff i was like okay this is cool i don't care this i always almost was relieved to be away from the like no there's gonna be a big battle we swear like it was like you guys can't afford it i understand (laughs) just like just admit that this is a post-apocalyptic like mad max knockoff and i can be Mm -hmm. happy with that but it is like it's not actually the fifth movie's fault. I just felt that it was. I mean, if you edit <laughs> like, the fifth movie where she Wesker is just like, I need you to fight the battle, and they go up on the roof, and then the sixth movie starts, and she's like, Well, it's over, and I'm me again. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the implicate, like the reintroduction of the superpowers, which are really annoying, and I don't like for her, and it makes her yeah. character way less interesting and compelling to watch. Like, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. it's so yeah. silly. What a waste. Yes. 
<laughs> I think the fifth movie really uh, embodies a lot of my issues with the series as well. And and what it comes down to is, do you want me to care about the continuity? Mm. Because I can't tell. And the fifth movie really uh, crystallizes that. In previous films, there's issues with certain characters come back, certain characters don't. Let's forget about this person, but we really care about this thing from two or whatever. In the fifth one, they bring back Michelle Rodriguez. Who, of course, we all care about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> she's wonderful. Uh, she's a sympathetic character in whichever movie she was in, the first one. Yes. And she comes back in the fifth one under the control of Umbrella, seemingly against her will. So uh, essentially uh, playing a villain. And it's just because. It's just because they could get her. There's no real reason to do that. There's there's not even really references to anything that happened in the first movie or the relationship that they had. It's just, look at this face. You know this face, but this face bad now? <laughs> That's the experience that Alice goes through. It's like, oh, it's my friend Rain. Oh, no, she's bad now. I guess I have to kill her. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, and the one, the fifth movie has, does include a lot of stuff that the novel contends with and again i don't know if the script had that stuff and it just got had to had to go to keep the movie under two hours the 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 way that a, a marvel movie has to be under three hours a resident evil movie has to be under an hour 50 <laughs> <laughs> and like at the at the outside like this one is an epic at hour 46 you know hour 40 with the credits out and because the other ones are all like even they're like 85 with without they're credits they're or like 92 yeah yeah and so it's is interesting, like the whole that like you talk about the, the, um, what they kind of decide is an emotional core of the fifth one. This very hoary thing of like, there's a child she must protect, which yeah. has a kind of poignancy to it. And I have, I'm maybe even more so the way they discuss it in the book, even though a lot of it's just kind of recap. And I don't actually love having that be like this kind of extra fixation in the book. Like I think it's supposed to be the extra like emotional hook of the story that they're trying to add to the book. And I just watching the movie again, I was like, no, I just preferred like the kind of straight ahead, like saving the world to me is enough. You don't need to be like, but where's this child who I don't actually know? <laughs> like, I mean, and I say that as a parent, like I, 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 I get it. Like it, it, it's, it's heart tugging, but it's also kind of like, yeah, but she also needs to like save every single person of the dwindling yeah. uh, population of earth. The kid thing works better in five where like the kid sees her and is like, you're my mom. Cause a clone of you is my mom. And Alice has to be like, yeah, uh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's like an interesting, weird. I, I like. I dig that kind of. That's. I feel like that's the kind of stuff Anderson is good at. With in terms, it's like not really an emotional thing. It's kind of a like a weird. You know, it is like a weird mental thing, though. It's a, like mm -hmm. a like the experience. Like you say, that's kind of the experience Alice is having. Like he's kind of good about keying into the kind of weird iterative nature of making like a long running movie series where you're kind of like, okay, wait, where am I now? Where am I in the story? Like who is, who are these people? Uh, and like, he kind of puts that into Alice's character. And that's sort of, to me, that's sort of fun, even though like it kind of alludes to some dead ends where you're like, oh, okay, so there's this fifth movie where she's like toting this kid around. And then the, the sixth novel, but not, not movie <laughs> has to like deal with the emotional fallout of that and make it a big part of the story in a way that I feel like Anderson's instincts, even though they're kind of poor storytelling, were kind of right for the movie. They're like, yeah, no, the kid thing has got to go. Like, yeah, we can't <laughs> yeah, deal with that we, for a whole nother movie. Yeah. This isn't going to be two full hours. That <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's enough that she meets back up with Claire and is like, here's someone that I know and care about. And want yeah, to protect. Yeah. And then, like, all of Claire's yeah. friends, she's like, well, if you like them, I like them. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect I sus- I might suspect one of them is a traitor, but like I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> Just being a polite friend. <laughs> yeah. It's not your boyfriend. Sorry. <laughs> there are elements of this movie that when you read the novelization you're like how did they not flesh that out more? That makes no yeah. sense. And so part of it, of course, is what we're saying, that they jump past a bunch of plot. But also this passage in the book about the kid with the peanut. Oh, my God. just yeah. shown for two seconds in the movie. And it's yeah. just like, kid on the floor, suddenly kid's a zombie, and we're out. <laughs> it's yeah. like, in the in the book, I'm trying, does anyone have a pulse on where this is? It's quite early. Um, I mean, I remember, because yeah. like, like the first, the fir- there's a first chunk oh, yeah. that's like, oh, about... The scientists who create Umbrella. Okay, that tracks. Then suddenly you're like in South Africa. There, it's like a school group. You're spending like 15 pages with these people, and then yeah, a guy gets his face bitten off by a child so, zombie. Yeah. Just to give the audience a, a taste of the prose here, basically they're on what kind of what would you call it? A gondola. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, they're on like yeah. a Heading gondola. Heading up to the top of a mountain. And. Uh, yeah, and so the the guide basically suspects that this kid has eaten a peanut and says, uh, that's when Dominic remembered. The boy was asthmatic. Choking on the peanut must have triggered an attack, causing his throat to swell and making it impossible for him to draw an air. But that couldn't be right, could it? His parents had notified the school that Callan had been taking a new treatment for his condition, one that was supposed to eradicate it entirely. Had the treatment failed, or had there been more than one peanut lodged in his throat and he was still choking? The other boys crowded around the three of them, motivated by concern, fear, and morbid curiosity. The other passengers watched in helpless concern as Dominic slipped off Callan's backpack, opened it, and quickly searched through the contents for an inhaler. But there wasn't one. Now, the thing I like about this passage, which goes on, and basically what happens is that he gives the kid CPR, but the kid is a zombie, bites it turns out. Bites his lips off. It's so yes. Bites his lips off. Oh. I think it's one of the better passages in the book, and I also really like the idea <clears throat> that <clears throat> it seems like one thing has happened here, that the kid is having an allergic reaction, but it's actually the clue to what's going on is the medical sort of uh, update from the parents, right. right? Like, what's actually happening is that this kid is on some experimental thing that just is, like, T-virus pills. Do you think that you <laughs> would give your child who had asthma, which is very treatable, <laughs> like, the T-virus? <laughs> just sick of the fucking... They're just so lazy that they're, like, the fucking inhaler, so sick of this shit, just give he him the pills. He is coughing so much, it is so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Alicia Marcus has a degenerative disease that will kill her in, like, a year. This kid has asthma. (laughs) But I do... It's interesting. It's revealed that it's the first, like, case of the undead, which makes a lot more sense, because when I'm reading this, I'm going, you live in Resident Evil. Stay (laughs) away from him. Um, And in the movie, it's just... It's like abstract impressionist art. They're like, of course, here we are, Resident Evil 6, kid on ground, bites face, cutting away. Yeah, yeah. the opening narration of the movie is so fast and cursory. And it's like, here's all the backstory you need to understand what's happening when you meet Alicia later in the movie. And with the Red Queen, also a boy killed a man and a lot of other people, zombies, 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 five movies, here we are. Yeah. And it really doesn't affect much. It's weird. Like in the book, it does. It makes sense to explain all that, but it doesn't really affect very much of what you see in the movie. Ultimately, there's nothing in the movie where you would be like, how? 
like if I if I saw a kid the first zombie I would understand this like because <laughs> right. the one thing I think anyone under going into this movie understands is like what a zombie is I, you know like so. that's like the one single thing that I think is pretty universally communicated I think also what's cool about the Andrew what you point out about that passage it has kind of a Stephen I mean this is, this is like this is going to be like guy who's seen one movie ever uh <laughs> like that that meme but like there because like i read like a couple of stephen king books and haven't read a ton of story, horror novels in general but um it has kind of a stephen king it reminded me a bit of like early passages in stephen king novels i have mm-hmm. read where he's like very willing because his books are fucking 800 pages <laughs> or whatever to like go into like someone's day you know mm-hmm. when yes. when at the the time of the outbreak or the time of the the crazy thing that and you might not see that character again or go into that character's head again but he might give you a chapter where you really like dig into mm-hmm. it and that's a weird thing to get from it like it's it's very admirable like it makes the book better and could probably make the movie better but it's a weird fit for Paul W.S. Anderson's deal mm-hmm. to have yes. like this kind of well considered slow creep out like you think it's one thing but it's actually another I mean he does like faking you out but not in that kind of like close to the ground like everyday character sort of way but it's very effective in prose I just don't it's just a weird match for for Anderson's style there's an element of that passage too like that whole sequence where like you know what's happening as the reader and you're like oh my god this boy is gonna be a zombie (laughs) oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) and like that like looming pressure is also very Stephen King um, yes. And it's just good horror writing. And yeah. uh, I wish there was a little bit more of that, like, we know ahead of the characters. And, like, that dread is very effective. And what I've heard of the Resident Evil games is that they're really playing on dread more than horror. Yeah. Um, right. Which these movies just move away from almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like it. I wouldn't mind a little more of it. These movies aren't scary, uh, <laughs> in my opinion. No, I'm not no. sitting there going like, well. I think over the there. first one has some <laughs> elements that are creepy and spooky, um, yeah. and then they just become action movies pretty, pretty entirely. There's monster movie stuff that I think is like horror adjacent, or like I, I'm always like I just saw the Jurassic Park movie, and like I feel like I was as a weirdly as a horror fan, I felt like better equipped to like it, even though it's not like a hardcore horror movie. Because I was like, well, I'm just understanding this as a monster movie. I'm not understanding this as like a as a sequel to the masterpiece Jurassic Park. I'm like, this is mm-hmm. just like. This is Jurassic Park Part Six: Other Revenge of the Dinosaurs. Like it's <laughs> it's monsters and stuff. And re- the thing I do like about Resident Evil, I think, besides the Mila stuff, which is really the main draw, is that it does have kind of fun monsters, even kind of good monster design. Like, there's a bit in um, they go into much more detail in the book about this, and it's really cool. But in even in the um, the movie, even though it's less gnarly, there is like a zombie who's like worn down to basically being like a skeleton, and is like you know gnashing at at alice at late in the movie and i was like oh this is cool it's not you're right Andrew. it's not scary it's like in the kind of like it's not going to give no one's going to get nightmares from it like over the over the age of like you know 17 or whatever but there is a kind of like you know i wouldn't say even haunted house but kind of like a cool yeah like hannah said spooky like creaturey thing it is much more pronounced in the first one but there's like monster stuff in these that i i think is like kind of worthwhile for a horror fan even though it's not it's really like I think what people don't like about the movie is, is that they really don't do horror. They like turned it into an action movie with some horror touches. I really enjoyed watching all six movies, and I didn't mean it as a dig that they're not scary. I just think, don't think that's their repeal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. The hand-to-hand combat stuff is so fun. Uh, 
I, I probably would get t- tired of the psychic powers if they were, or the telekinetic powers if they were there all the time. I like that when it happens, but when she's just punching and whatever, that's the height of the series for me, which is I think why four is my favorite. And I actually really like this one because the first like 45 minutes of the movie is just her punching. I mean, we're <laughs> 40 minutes into the movie when she's fallen into that trap in the underpass where she's hanging upside down and she manages to kill all the motorcycle guys who have her trapped. Yeah. I mean, one thing that really occurred to me upon rewatch is that like Alice is really invested and in the book, actually. I was just like, damn, girl, you're killing so many healthy human beings. <laughs> Um, she's like so obsessed with saving lives and then like one umbrella goon is like I'm gonna shoot you and she's like I'll snap your neck and she does <laughs> no respect for umbrella lives which is fair I guess it's untenable that. to try yeah. to keep people alive when they're trying to I kill you I mean I you. get that like there, there's a couple I feel like there's a couple of guys who are like whoa whoa I just work here yeah. and she's like fuck you <laughs> no Hannah hard disagree in the book and in the movie the guys that come up from the transport yeah that guy doesn't count Gasoline down it. Yeah, when it's 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 like specified in the book too. When they pour the gasoline into the transport and light it on fire, the guy comes out, says "Don't shoot," and reaches for his own gun. No, I, I, I think like that guy's not the good example, but I feel like there are other mm-hmm. guys who like like there was one of the guards when she's first escaping from the truck who I think is just like a guy. She doesn't have to throw him over the side to get devoured by zombies, <laughs> and she does. You know, he's just like a kid who has a job. Yeah. It's well, there's a ruthlessness that she has to like has to maintain in order to to stay alive. I think that the movie's not it doesn't really get explicitly into like that psychology of it, which is too bad. But like that is my read on it, that it's sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, even your good guy in like the post-apocalyptic like zombie scape is going to be pretty like kill or be killed about this stuff, uh, which is cool. But it is <laughs> it is funny that she is. Uh, saving a dwindling a number of people that is also dwindling because she's murdering <laughs> yeah like wait there's only 4,000 people yeah right now there's 300 500 like you did it yeah um, I do like there she's are passages killed an expressible percent yeah yeah there are passages in the book where Alice says to herself like you can't feel that right now like you can't grieve for that person we don't have time for that like I can't, I have to put those things away to get the mission done. And I really appreciate those touches in the novel. Because in the movie, she's just like, okay, we're moving on. That guy got eaten. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have that, like, an interiority of her being like, I wish I had time to feel sadness over these people. The book is also, I mean, makes sense because it's, you're getting her inner monologue or like, not inner monologue, but you're getting her point of view. It's like really sunk into her point of view for a lot of it. Uh, it's so attuned to how much pain she's feeling. I mean, I get it. You're not in the movies when you have an action here, or even if she doesn't have telekinetic powers, you're not really dwelling on like, yeah, like you have the, you know, it's it's portrayed in small gestures, like a bandage up the arm or like a cut. Always there's like the one fashionable cut <laughs> of the cheek. Um, but in the in the book, you know, partially probably just fill some of the space where you're like otherwise would just be like, and then she stabs a guy, and then she almost gets eaten, and then she, she's like talking to, like her chest is out, is is fire multiple times in the book mm-hmm. like her chest was on fire and she's like barely staying standing up when she fights the zombie by the reflecting pool on the mall in dc in the book it's like this desperate like you know she's like dropping to her knees and i mean she does take a drink out of it in the in the movie too but it, you feel much more of the like 
oh, she's like ready to like pass out and she's like fighting the giant zombie. In the movie, it's a little more just like Alice doing her thing. And that's kind of, I mean, it's like, it gets actually, I found like a bit repetitive in the book that you're just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. She's like, she's in a lot of pain, but like, <laughs> is that really going to make that much difference in the next hundred pages? She's like, pushing through, damn it. Yeah, yeah, The last yeah. 50 pages are very much like, she did this, her ribs hurt. She did yeah, this, yeah. her ribs really fucking hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the last fight with Isaacs is just her being like, I'm in the most pain I've ever been in my life, and I'm going to kill this guy. It's the last yeah. thing I do. Um. There's also uh, the other thing that I feel like that when I underline in terms of like, what is the book giving me that the besides like, the, like you said, the plot stuff is <laughs> and this is like to me funnier. That the book is like really um, into how bad it smells everywhere. <laughs> yes. they, like, I get it. Of course, it's something you don't often, you know, in a movie, you really have to like go out of your way to talk about something smelling bad. Um the characters really have to react to it constantly <laughs> but in the in a movie a book you have no such problems uh, so in fact when it seems like whenever wagner is like kind of stuck for like well what are we going to describe here he's like oh yes the like different ways that rotting flesh smells very bad <laughs> and i honestly did kind of assume watching these movies when you see a lot of the rotting flesh that it had kind of cycled past the point of smelling bad to like the kind of yeah, like when it was an open wound or whatever, like, but then after after months, it's not really probably smelling that bad anymore, or at least Alice is probably used to the smell of burnt rotting flesh or whatever. And it's like not that, you know, even in like the Romero zombie movies, there's not a lot of like everyone being, oh, Jesus Christ, this smells horrible. Like, <laughs> just like, yeah, yeah, it's like super gross and goopy, but like, they don't, it's much more the texture, I think, than the smell. And the book really, I mean, maybe this is again, maybe this is something that is just striking me because I don't read that many horror books. But and again, it was like cool and then also becomes insanely repetitive where they're like, get this, this room. What she really noticed about the room was that it smelled also very bad. I, w- I mean, I would not be mad about a movie where every time someone entered a room full of corpses, they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's disgusting and it reeks. Yeah, <laughs> she's like choking back vomit, like which I feel like she should be she should be inured by this point to choking back. <laughs> she's vomit. such a sensitive person. She'll never get over yeah. it. <laughs> I feel like a similar thing happens when they wake up in the bathroom in the first song. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I think Lee Wanell is like, oh god, I mean, oh my god. My favorite part of Saw, not to talk about Saw forever, which as we know I could, but when he has to like dig through the toilet, which is full of shit, yes! his face as yeah. an actor is like, oh my god, I hate this <laughs> so. Hard. Are you sure I have to do this? Which is just like a good choice, just an excellent. Yeah, like yeah. it just adds to the, the pin- texture. <laughs> The pig corpse is in one of them. I don't know if it's like three, three. or six. Two. Yeah, there's like, also, there's a very strong sense that this is besides being disgusting to look at and feel on your face, also smells very bad. And so I do, I appreciate those sensory cues. <laughs> yeah, that's maybe the grossest thing in the entire series. Um, so it, it's, it's speaking of like the video gamification just just forcing the conversation back to a thing i was talking about 30 <laughs> minutes ago um wesker he has to in the video games just be a talking head that appears in the corner of your screen sometimes right? i think sometimes so i after watching welcome to raccoon city i was like so a lot of the characters that are in these resident movie, evil movies are in that movie but i was like i don't understand this person at all anymore this is not the mm-hmm. claire redfield i know um yeah so I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia <laughs> trying to get a grasp <laughs> on these people. 
Um, and it seems that Wesker is a full-on stand-around villain who sometimes you fight, um, and he wears a trench coat and those funny little sunglasses. So, like, his visual styling is right out of the video games. And in some games, he's, like, a scientist who's sort of, like, turned bad, and now he's an evil bad guy, and sometimes he's just a bureaucrat, which is more what he is in these movies. And this movie doesn't get into his, like, genetic mutations, which the book cannot shut the up about. The book is really <laughs> I love it. I was, like, reading that in the book, and I was like, this is great. I can't wait to re-see this in the movie. Not present. Wesker is barely present no. in the movie at all. Um, no. Well, they, I feel like they kind of burn out on him. Like, he's so much in the late, in the early, like, I, I, and again, I didn't rewatch all of these more recently than last fall, so mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I feel like four and five have a fair amount of Wesker. Yeah. And yes. one of those has him, oh, like the kind of, oh, shit, he can, like, turn into a weird tentacle thing. Uh, so I was kind of relieved <laughs> That but that Wexler is not in this one that much because he does. I don't know, to me, it just like reads as sort of like, oh, this is like Agent Smith shit. Mm-hmm. Like it's the sunglasses and he's kind of unkillable. And I also really liked uh, Isaacs in this or like thought him really interesting. Okay, and I, great. I, yeah. well, I agree. But Isaacs, for, first off, the only reason I thought that Wesker was like a talking head is because he he's a real guy in the movies, and then when he shows up on screens they almost seem to make him look faker and more ps 2 <laughs> yeah. and i was yeah. like oh they must be tr- trying to send up like how people have seen wesker um but <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that so i could be totally wrong i6 i want to talk i want to say one more thing about wesker okay the first time he shows up he's played by an actor who's like a, a real actor not to be rude but he's like a genuinely like capable actor then he is replaced with a guy who just kind of looks like that guy who is not as capable of an actor in my opinion not to be rude to that man but i think that's also part of it is like he can't carry the the good villain weight if you need him to be more than just like a goopy mutant monster mm-hmm. yeah. and you need Agreed. isaacs because that's a real actor whose name yeah. I don't remember now. Shame on me. Anybody? Wesker looks confused behind the sunglasses. <laughs> I think is maybe his greatest failing as a scary villain. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, hold on. It's not Reese Talk to fans. me about Isaacs. It's Ian, so, it's Ian Glenn, but yes. spelled in the, in the weird, uh, yeah, like um, in the weird Ian Gruffold spelling of Ian. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not but weird, like a it's real just, actor who's in genuine movies and is bringing a lot to the role. Yeah, and I, I really love the the kind of like, and they get something that's another thing that's cool about the book is that it really puts a lot into Isaac's character, mm-hmm. and a lot of that so is much. like not really in the movie, <laughs> almost too much, perhaps. Um, but like the idea that he's this also this clone who doesn't know he's a clone and is like this sort of religious fanatic who's running this like separate, you know, uh, like counter revolution or whatever he's doing. I thought it was really cool. And again, yeah, like Santa, you're right. Like the way that the, the actor just plays it in a way that's like kind of more deliciously evil mm-hmm. and like weird and complicated and not thorny, but like there's just something like very human about how horrible he is and Wesker doesn't have that like that like you're just like oh he's like a he's an avatar yeah. like he needs to he's like the final boss or second to final boss I don't even know mm-hmm. which one I mean one thing I love with Isaacs is that you get to the end and Alice is like finally I won and then two Isaacs show up and she's like oh Christ <laughs> and they just kill each other like there's yeah. enough thorniness within like the clone Isaacs 
and his like ego and the actual Isaacs's ego that like they just take each other out because they can't stand the existence of the other. Yeah, which yeah. is just like a cool little like it's built in character stuff that we've seen. And it's fun for Alice to not have to fight them together. That like they're actually yeah. so egotistical that they'd rather kill each other than, than yeah. complete their evil plan. Yeah. The 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 fake Isaacs has that line after he kills the real Isaacs where he goes, He's not me. I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, an Isaac's passage well, yeah. I just yeah. want to read. There's so much yeah. Isaac's interiority. So much. Yeah. <laughs> and this this part's pretty good. Given how things had gone this day, Isaacs was beginning to think that God had abandoned him. He had been so certain that he was acting as the Lord's servant, chosen above all others to carry out his holy will. But if that was true, how could he have failed so spectacularly? He'd had command of two military transports full of troopers, along with a massive army of undead, and it had all been destroyed by one woman and a handful of her pathetic minions. Yes, two more transport ports were on their way, bringing another horde of undead to Raccoon City, and there was no chance that Alice and her friends would survive to see the dawn. But he was supposed to ha have been the one to bring her down. Isaacs could think of only three reasons. One, Alice wasn't simply a pain in the ass. She was the avatar of absolute evil, a daughter of Satan himself. Two, he had displeased God somehow, and the Almighty had withdrawn his favor. Or three... And this possibility frightened Isaacs beyond reason. There was no God. If the latter was true, then Isaacs had devoted his life to a lie, and everything he had done, every life he had caused to be sacrificed in the Lord's name, had been wasted. And if that was true, he might as well dash from his hiding place and throw himself into the crater right now. And then he goes like, nah, that can't be it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, it has, it, it has incredible, like, could I be wrong? No, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's especially that he's like, there could only be three reasons for this. And then like, <laughs> like, and the first one is like the most the insane shit you've ever heard in your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Isaac's in the previous movies. I, because I watch them all so quickly, none of them stick in the mind. What was he even doing before six? I, I felt like in six, the book was just like, he's the most important character. Yeah, he's he's in uh, a bunch of them, but I really don't remember. I like what if he if I, like besides that she kills him at some point. I feel like she must kill him in like relatively early on, right? Not early on, but like in three or four or something. Is she is does he get killed in the assault at the beginning of four, where she comes with all the clo of all of her clones? Oh, that's definitely it. That's okay. definitely it. Yeah. Uh, because so, I think that's the other thing about marathoning these, as I as I did too, where you're sort of like, okay, so he was dead, but like, and then for like a movie and a half, he's not dead, and then comes back. Who cares? But these movies did came up come out far enough apart that it was like me. It felt like a little more of a like, oh, this dude is still alive. Although it also just kind of feels, you know, you're also then put in the position of trying to remember what happened six or seven years ago in a, in a movie you saw once, uh, which <laughs> like I certainly didn't do the like rewatch all of them beforehand each time. Mm -hmm. I would just go in cold and be like, I'll roll with it. I'll see. I'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah. the lore is so complex. You'd have yeah. to like make a chart to understand what's happening, even if you were paying the most attention in the world. And the movies really count on you just being like, oh, yeah, that's a bad guy. Fine. And yeah, then Alice says, yeah. like, I thought I killed you. And he's like, you killed the clone. And you're like, cool, great, moving on. We yeah. get it. That's <laughs> enough for me. I cannot possibly, like, it's, like, Jared Harris is in one of these movies. 
right? Yeah. As a guy who created yeah. the T virus to save his daughter. And then they're like, no, yeah. no, no, this was not the guy. That was a different guy. Yeah. And you just have to yeah. roll with it. And I, it's yeah. very hard to reconcile if you try to. Yeah. And I think that probably my affection for this, which has, has grown certainly since like 2004 when I saw the second one in the theaters uh, and like dragged my then girlfriend, now wife, somehow, somehow now wife, uh, till like she hadn't seen the first one at all. And I was like, no, come on, we'll just go see. <laughs> that was the fun. night she said yes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Actually, funny, uh, remember the fourth one, Retri- no, Retribution is the fifth Afterlife. One. After, Afterlife. We saw, like, I, it's not technically not on our honeymoon, but like no. <laughs> the, the week after we got married, in the week that we had taken off between our wedding and going to another friend's wedding the following weekend, like we stopped back in New York after our honeymoon. And I was like, well, while we're here, can we go see Resident Evil part four? Uh, the sequel to uh, a movie you surely do not remember. Um, <laughs> but I think like part of my affection growing for the growing for these movies. And I think for this type of movie in general over the last bunch of years and not, to, I hate when people bring things back to Marvel movies incessantly, but like, and I like those movies. It's not like, a, you know, I always go see them. Like, I'm going to go buy tickets to see the word tomorrow or whatever. But like, <laughs> there is I, those movies are so dominant and there's so many of them. And there's and they have such a reputation for being like intricately constructed. It's like kind of a bullshit reputation. But like people think that they're very pl- planned out, you know, that I'm sort of weirdly defensive and appreciative of movies that go on for like series that go on for a long time, but at a nice manageable once every three to four years and also are like loosey goosey enough that they are like clearly not <laughs> that they like, I, I kind of weirdly, you know, I get like when people talk about star Wars being like, Oh, that new trilogy, if they just plan, they can't believe they didn't plan it. What did they plan it out? It's like pl- planning is stupid. Like it's stupid <laughs> to plan a trilogy of movies that like, I feel like every time anyone has actually planned out a bunch of movies, it's it, you mostly wind up with movies that are like, oh boy, the next one's going to be good and it never happens. Like, I, you got to just like do with what you have. And certainly you could argue that the Resident Evil movies are like constantly deferring the big <laughs> finale to, to, to a finale that never really happens. But I do kind of like the kind of like, you know, iterative <laughs> sort of like video gamey, like, yeah, it's kind of like I remember it and there's familiar faces. But, like, they'll disappear for a while, and then they'll recur, or, like, mm-hmm. Claire Redfield is back, and I don't remember last time, where, what we where, we're supposed where we to think her. she was doing. Yeah, where was she? I don't know. I know she's, like, friends with Alice, and it has this kind of, like, friendly but hazy thing that I feel like feels very nice and science fiction-y, where I'm like, right, this is all very familiar. That, that's how I can read a novel of this, of a movie I watched less than a year ago. And go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember this, I think, from one of the movies. Like, this was something that was in it. And yeah. it's not. It's like, it's in this weird kind of dream state. And that, to me, is like very cinematic in a weird way. It's not like TV where you can just rewind it and see the previous episode. Like, no, you have to be kind of lost in it. Like, okay, to, but to, to be yourself fair, <laughs> this movie does egregiously, after like skipping the battle, just do like previously on Resident Evil. Yeah, yes, she just. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Like, it does give you images from previous films, but I I, I respect the There's spirit so of what you're saying. There's so many people credited in this movie as archive footage. Yeah. So many people. <laughs> and it gives you, but it also gives you nothing by doing no. that, which I think, which is not intentional, but I really like. When I was reading the book, 
I mean, I, I actually liked a, a lot of the prose in the book, and I thought when when Wagner was making embellishments on stuff that I thought they were interesting. But yeah. uh, early on, when I'm trying to get a feel for what kind of a book it's like, on page like 20, I'm going, this is one of the most terribly written pages I've ever read. <laughs> and then I realized watching the movie, it's because it's just the direct <laughs> text the of the voiceover <laughs> of Alice being like, I was one of the evil residents, but then I left. <laughs> that, yeah, but that's then, a fair point. The first daughter like, now. Oh, the first chunk yeah. is bad, and I was like, "This is bad," and I'm concerned about the rest of the book. Then it really picks up, and I was so grateful. Um, to the point where I think the book is the better version of the story <laughs> than the. Movie. I agree with that. It feels like a real story where, like, the movie is moving at such a fast pace that, like, you don't have time to get to know anybody. You don't have time to, like, think about anybody or what they're doing or why they're doing it or where they are, which is not bad. It makes the movie fun to watch. But, like, to spend time with the story, I was, like, much more excited to be, like, let me learn a little bit about Abigail before she gets shredded by a fan. Let me learn a little bit more (laughs) about the thin man before he drops to his death. We've seen him in two scenes. And in the book, you have, like, just enough more meat on the bones. Yeah, um, that it's just a. Uh... It smells terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's it, it is like I, I would never prefer it to the movie because like <laughs> that's just like I like the whole experience of these things to me is time. the same way that I'm sure I could play these games and they would be the best games in the world. And I'd be like, meh, like, it's not really don't, it's not the movies that I like. Um, but it's like a fascinating experiment. And again, I haven't read even, I don't, I assume there are novelizations of the other ones, but I haven't read them if there are. It's uh, only it's like some. A fast- oh, it's really? It's so only, only some, and Tim Wagner didn't write any of the other ones. So we, I think one, five, and six have novelizations. Oh, that's wild, especially that, it, that they didn't do, like, I feel like novelizations, there are fewer of them now, right? Like, they're not, it's not as common. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting that the last one somehow got it. I mean, but it, although it also makes sense for like all the, all the material that's not in the movie. I think there must be a novelization of two because the copy of the novelization of one that I has says the exciting prequel to Resident Evil 2. (laughs) So there must be a novelization of two, which I almost want to read because the stuff in two that drives me crazy hopefully would be explained in a novelization. Or do, are they referring to they if they use the number two, they might be weirdly referring to something that happens in the game. And no, like it does say movie. Resident Evil oh, okay. subtitle, oh, okay. Okay. Apocalypse, okay. whatever it is. I don't remember. But oh, that's so interesting. I think it is Apocalypse. Good. Yeah, I don't like that movie. It makes me mad. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't revisit it very often. Uh, I love the logic, though, Jesse, of being like, the, the, if there's one thing I know about Resident Evil fans, they read. Um, yeah. <laughs> <but> <laughs> speaking of trying to get the, the fan base, like trying to get a pulse on them, and I'm I'm drinking Rockstar as we record. <laughs> I want that on the record. But oh, like, I had some Mountain Dew in the fridge. I should have been slamming Mountain Dew this whole time. Retribution, number five. When Alice goes into the Tokyo simulation of like, here's what it would look like if the T-virus broke out in Tokyo. She steps out into like their downtown or whatever. And all the billboards are like, Rockstar, GameStop. (laughs) Like there was one in the distance that was out of focus, but I was like, might be Pornhub. Kind of looks like Pornhub. <laughs> it's a lifestyle being advertised. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Did you see that billboard for uh, thin teenage mustaches? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of thin. That's incredible. Um, the, the, so many characters are introduced in this movie. And in 
if they just hadn't been introduced in the movie, that would have been fine. In the book, they're introduced. They get some fleshing out. It works. In the movie, it's like, who are these people? Oh, they're dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying to tell the difference. Like, it. sorry. In the, I don't mean to cut you no, off. Go. But like, in the group of Claire's friends, there's like Christian and Michael. And in the movie, I'm like, I don't know who's who. There's no way for no. me to know whatsoever no. who these guys are. I only know Abigail because it's what's her name? Oh, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Rose. Rose. Yeah, yeah like a, Rose. a notable actress. And otherwise, I'm like, hmm, expendable people. Michael gets a horrifying death in the novel. And I like missed how he dies. Which one name is <laughs> again? Which one's his death? Uh, he, he like gets his face again with the lips. Ooh. His face gets ripped off from his skeleton basically before he dies. <laughs> yeah, and he's so like, he, alive like, and he like with feels no face for a minute. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. He like noticed he just long enough to notice that he's like only bone up here, <laughs> and then he perishes like with goop on him. It's I mean, like it's just awful. I think the passage in the book is that he like passes out, and Alice is like, "God, I hope he's dead." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's yeah, it's a, it's as bad as possible. <laughs> so maybe oh the book God. even has too many characters because when Michael died, I thought I had all the characters, and then when when they were like, "Oh no, Michael has died," it's like there was a Michael. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. the Thin Man. Let's just talk about this part where the book suddenly goes because he's about to die. He's now the main character of the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we have a chapter break when they're already in the hive. And we're suddenly interiority of the Thin Man. Jeff Moran, who Alice thought of as the Thin Man, brought up the rear. Because of his emaciation, he had little trouble maneuvering through the air duct, but he was so malnourished that he was rapidly running out of energy. When he'd volunteered to help Alice and the others, he hadn't been sure what he had to offer. Yeah, he'd managed to survive since the outbreak, but he'd accomplished that mostly through luck and being clever. He didn't possess any real skill at fighting, and he could count the number of times he'd fired a gun on one hand, and the number of times he'd actually hit anything were fewer still. But after Isaac's troops had captured him in an abandoned grocery store where he'd been scavenging for canned food, he'd had his freedom, such as it was, taken from him. He'd travel alone since the outbreak, believing that other people were a liability. They'd compete with him for supplies at best, or worse, become infected and attack him. But once imprisoned on the umbrella transport, Jeff was no longer alone. He became part of a group for the first time since the undead had taken over the world, and if they'd never become a family, they did form a bond based on their shared misery. They shared their stories of survival, spoke about their past, tried to bolster each other's spirits when one of their number took his or her turn as bait for the undead and never returned. So, good passage goes on and on and on, goes on to explain how, like, their friendship just made Isaacs mad and he started to try to deliberately break them up because their love was too strong. <laughs> and that's also why his tongue was taken. Is he the tongueless guy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that they couldn't talk to each other. And it's just, it's classic novelization stuff. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but this is having read like 30 of these, like <laughs> this is straight across the plate. We're about to kill a character. Let's give him a little juice. <laughs> and some grace it really is like kind of lovely you know in a kind of mercenary way and i yeah it was neat to see and it's also like something that is in a pleasing way impossible to do with i mean not even in a movie but in this movie or in this type of movie in a paul ws anderson movie there's never like it's funny he's like a you know i think he's a very interesting director and he's like a 
these movies are very engaging, but they're not the kind of movie where like you stop for a minute and follow someone else for for a little sequence. And like obviously that's like not most big budget Hollywood movies mm-hmm. like don't do that. But like there are filmmakers who would like who would like be tickled to do that. I feel like even someone like you know like I think this is such a random example, but like in Con Air, there's a part where like the a body is chucked out a plane with a note on it. And then they like go into like it's very short. It's, it's very short, but it's just like it's like you get like thirty seconds of this couple arguing in their car for mm-hmm. a little bit before the body crashes on them. And it's like it's not necessary at all mm-hmm. for this to for this to be there. And there's something about Anderson's like must go through the maze mentality <laughs> that does not. Even though there are detours of plenty in mazes, he doesn't really like the doesn't seem to cotton to the idea of like oh we'll go into someone else's point of view for a little while and like. I, mean, I guess there are with the, some of the villains you're seeing stuff that Ali isn't, Alice isn't privy, privy to, but it doesn't have that kind of playful like or or even kind of poetic in a weird way thing where you're like here's the little backstory of of the Thin Man and it is like it's very the Wagner does a really nice job of like getting a lot across in a in a pretty short amount of time. I mean it's not that short of amount of time because he's like allowed to go on a bit, but like it's maybe it's required sufficient. to. Yeah. 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 Sometimes, <laughs> to get that sometimes they have like a, p- a page count. They have uh, to hit. But I didn't, I did not escape my attention that this one's right about 300 pages. <laughs> 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 like, it is just like to make it a normal book size. It's such a nice little sequence where in the movie, like his death is just so that we understand that when Alice and Claire get scooped up by the tunnel, they're in for some bad shit. Um, and it's just nice to give that guy like a little bit of humanity and a little yeah. bit more about him. And then, yeah, he falls and, to his and death. For <laughs> the listener, because the movie doesn't even call him the Thin Man, I don't think. No, no. it's so hard for, to know no. which guy we're talking about. For, for the listener, this is the guy that falls down the chute onto the grate and then the grate drops out and he goes, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a very nice moment slightly before that where after Scars, his friend, is eaten, Alice is like, I wish I had asked that guy's name before his friend who could speak died because now I can never call him anything. And that sucks. Yeah. That's a yeah. human being who has a name and I'll never, ever know it. And then he It's a lot of emotional labor Alice is doing in this. <laughs> she's, really she's like, it was on me. Always. I mean, this is, this is, again, like what I like about her is she's just like, if I am not emotionally connecting with every human being I meet, then I'm failing. <laughs> If I don't care above and beyond for everyone. And I think that Mila is a good actress for that. Like when the thin man falls through and they're like looking down being like, oh no, what's happening? Then he falls to his death. Her face is like devastated. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's a a really underrated actress. Actually. I think there's like these ask her to do a certain thing that she does really well. And I think it's one of those things where it's the kind of thing where you can't plug someone like you could plug in better like in quotes you know kind of more classy actors in this and they were just they would be yeah. so bad at it she's but she's great. also like she's like uh there's a couple like have you guys seen like the perfect getaway mm-hmm. or a perfect getaway i think it's, i love she's perfect getaway. she's so good in that and she's good in a really bizarre movie uh i don't mean to derail i just wanted to like shout this movie out because it's like one of my favorite performances of hers and it's so bizarre she, one of the most like movie- mtv looking movies of all time oh yeah yeah well, there's this other one around the same time that came out called Stone, where she stars opposite Robert De Niro and Edward Norton. Yeah. Uh, 
so like the stars in the in the in the in the slot where in the movie the score Marlon Brando does. <laughs> I mean, it's just not the Marlon Brando, but like in that movie, it's like De Niro, it's De Niro, Norton, and, and Brando. In this one, it's De Niro, Norton, Jovovich, and she's very good in it. She gives a terrific performance. Uh, all three of them are very good, and it's like a bizarre movie that doesn't one hundred percent work. But like as an acting showcase, she's like in this acting showcase with De Niro and Norton, who are like you know heavyweights of this type of like and it's like a heavy drama it's not like a genre movie like the score um and she really holds her own she plays the wife of edward norton's character who's this prisoner who's trying to who's talking to his parole or like a parole officer played by de niro who's a very miserable person and she the wife sort of tries to seduce him a little bit into like maybe letting her husband out and she's playing this very bizarre kind of hippie type and this you don't always know like what how you know how sincere she's being or like what her deal is and she really, I mean, she's opposite De Niro in scene after scene, and she completely holds her own. So I've, I've, after I saw that, I was like, she's great. She's, like, underappreciated for what she does, and I would love to, I mean, like, I love seeing her in genre stuff, uh, but I would love also to see her, like, more people hire her to do, like, character parts, because I think she's I mean, excellent. it's almost a shame that she's, like, married to Paul W.S. and, like, clearly likes working <laughs> with him, and he loves working with her, and so they just do things together. Because uh, yeah. she really is great, and she has such a unique quality. She has like a slightly husky voice and a very unique face, and she has like great physicality. And it's just like she could really sing in other things if she wanted to, yeah. and if people would give her the shot. It's just like, man, she's yeah. see, I had the opposite reaction after I watched the final chapter. I was like, why did Paul W S make Monster Hunter when they could have done Resident Evil Seven? <laughs> I mean, it is. We're talking about the video gameness of it. Is that like she's like, this is my story, the end of my story. She gets to the end of the movie, she's like, nope, more adventures to come. Oh, so the whole uh, book, I was just gonna say, they're they're dog and the and movie. They're talking about how the the antidote's gonna kill her, <laughs> and they're like, well, she's. Got the T virus in her, yeah. so Fat when she chance. kills the T virus, yeah. <laughs> she's Gonzo, and then she just wakes up at the end of the movie. And first of all, there's that funny interaction with Ellie Larder where she's like, "Why am I alive?" And Ellie Larder's like, "I don't I know. Don't care. Let's, <laughs> go. Let's get out of here." Glad you are. But then, then the Red Queen's like, "Oh yeah, it just basically cured you. Like it just took all the virus yeah. out of you." I knew that was gonna. Ha- that is a funny. It was a test. I knew that was gonna yeah. happen. Yeah, kind of needed you to do the thing. As if the past ten years of Alice's life weren't test enough. Yeah, it's just it's, test we, after test. We so often get the opposite, though. I mean, like, speaking of, like, Marvel and Endgame and whatnot, like, even though you kind of know it's coming, it's, like, it's something that's it, totally whatever. And then, oh, no, Iron Man died. This is so shocking. It, like, It's, like, a late act development. This movie's exactly the opposite. This movie's, like, <laughs> yeah. scene one, like, our hero will die. And then at the end, she she just goes... I guess I got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> that flying, those flying things are still around. God, do something oh, about yeah, that. Those things well, are it's so, it's like the weird. closure that the the movie and book try to bring and not bring are so interesting to compare because the movie does the kind of classic franchisey, yeah, like you say, Andrew, like a sort of leading up to like, oh, you're gonna die. Ah, just kidding. There could be more. There could be more if you want. <laughs> and like, it's very much like it's they leave the door open to say if this movie's a smash hit, like. You know, we could do Alice just like on another, you know, on like an adventure in the, in the wasteland mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, which I didn't seem like they ever really intended to do, but they clearly just weren't. I feel like most of these series, they never want to close the door on it. Just, just right. in case, just in case. Um, and maybe if this one had done better in the U.S., like I know it did very well overseas and it didn't do that well here um, compared to some of the other ones. 
Although they do so well over in the overseas that I feel like the U.S. is like very secondary, as you can see when the, it opens a month a month after Japan right. <laughs> in the U.S. But then the book gives her much more closure and like says she's going to go be a mom to this little girl who she finds wandering the rubble of Washington D.C. and then gives a crazier oh, crazy sequel tease at the very end where it's like West Wexler's blood. Is gonna eventually come back and kill everybody. That was right in the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so, not like in the it's movie. So short. The epilogue is so short. Let's just read it. It's a paragraph. Yes. So <laughs> the the in first of all, there's a nice setup to it where when Wesker's bleeding out earlier, uh, what's Allie Larder's character's name? Claire. 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 She's like, uh, yeah, he was bleeding. And I saw his blood moving away from him. What a pathetic idiot. Even his blood wants to get away from him. It's like, all right. Kind of cool, but weird Weird that she just takes that as normal. <laughs> and then we get this epilogue. Miles beneath the ruins of the hive, squeezed into almost microscopic fissures in the rock, the cells that had once been Wesker's blood waited. This far down, they were safe from the effects of the antivirus, and here they would slumber in stasis for months, years, even centuries if necessary, until the surface world was once more safe for them. They'd sense this when it occurred, and when it did, as it must, sooner or later, they would begin making their way upward. And then, then the fun would really begin. This would be the worst <laughs> sequel, where it's just Wesker. It's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like the worst villain. Just yeah. comes back and he's like, I still talk like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also the implication that the T-virus is essentially sentient and malicious. That it's like, yeah. I can't wait to do murders. <laughs> oh, I do want to compliment the series. I think, like, based on that idea, I think that it has the cleanest, most beautiful explanation for zombies I've ever heard. Which is just, we made a thing that's good. It reanimates dead cells. It helps with all these different diseases. Oh, it turns out it reanimates anything. <laughs> anything dead. <laughs> and it just, and it really likes doing it. Like, that's yeah. just, that just, like, makes sense as a zombie origin story. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And that it's an infection, which explains, like, why getting bitten would kill you immediately and turn you into a zombie. Like, it's just yeah. good, clean, smart stuff. And yeah, I love the, I, I think, yeah. the movie design of like, they're like, oh, yes, the T-virus. It's a helix uh, inside of a jar. You know what you're yeah. looking at whenever you see it. Yes. The antidote, the virus is blue and the antidote is green. You're welcome. Yeah. Tidy, tidy, tidy. I mean, one of the yes. complaints I have with this movie, which extends into the book, is like they go back into the hive from the first movie, which has a series of iconic, cool, fun locations. And the movie's like, we're going to go to one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really would be like, I want them to have to like go to the lab where they find the T-virus in the first movie, and that's where the antidote is. Like, I want to ha them to have to like go on the train, go up the stairs, make it out the same way again. Go to the mansion. Go to the mansion, right. Like, all of these like cool locations that like, I like the cyclical nature of like, we're back where we started. I want to go so much more back. I really yeah. want to have those places because, like, the, the visuals of that first movie are so strong that they inform the rest of the movies really cleanly. And I would, I just, my one complaint with this movie, I mean, besides all the other complaints, <laughs> is that I, I love that they go back to the hive and I'm like, this isn't the hive I remember. <laughs> Come on, did you destroy those sets or something? Come on. Well, it's, it's also weird because it, it's almost weirdly self deprecating because it, by having a lot 
of that one sequence in the um you know the slice room the mm-hmm. like laser room which is also is it weird that nobody dies that way like like it i mean feels i get like isaac should get chopped up by lasers so, yeah or at least get his arm chopped off yeah. you know something come on come on but like it's almost weird like anderson who directed the first one and took off didn't wrote the second and third and then came back and he did directed one the rest. four five six is direct yeah yes it's almost like he's like kind of in a weird self-deprecating way saying ah well like yeah we're revisiting the stuff from the we're looping back to the first movie but all you guys remember is the is the one is the which is the most memorable the <laughs> laser room sure. that that yeah it like dices i like even what remembering watching that movie on vhs in 2002 i like remember like yeah like the laser thing that's like the very iconic to use an overuse expression uh but yeah he almost like doesn't trust that anyone would be that interested in what, what you talk about hannah which obviously would be really cool he's just kind of like no mostly just people think of this as the laser slice movie <laughs> and the rest <laughs> and, and is even like, when they cares. go back to the laser slice hallway it looks different it's all grimy yeah. and gross and you're like i get yeah, I mean, yeah. okay alice tells us it's the same hallway and she has a little flashback but like I no, I, it doesn't have that yeah. kind of crispness. And I, would, yeah. I think that fight scene in a brightly lit room would also be yeah. cooler than like a grimy yeah. dark thing. I want to see more of it. I love that fight scene. I'm here to stand up for that fight scene. <laughs> that, I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I read a lot of letterbox reviews of the movies. Movie. I think I reached out to you originally, Jesse. I, I'm. 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 You know. I, I've. I listen to your podcast, but I think I reached out to you originally for this movie because <laughs> at the time you were like one of the only people who had a slightly positive review. <laughs> but even your review was like, like the am I the only one? Yeah. <laughs> even your review was like the beginning's pretty good, and so yeah. I just expected it to fall off so hard. Uh-huh. And I don't know. Late in the movie, like she's doing stuff in the laser hallway, and it all is cool and. She's like, she does that move where she flips in the laser hallway and she like goes diagonally through them. And I was like, this yeah. just rules. And I'm she does so the same move that the guy does in the first movie where he like, go, like pulls up in like a horizontal pull up and his knife gets cut yeah. and her knife gets cut. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, nice. Paul, yeah, th- thank yeah. you. They do a decent job too of, um, of showing the moment where she sacrifices her fingers and explaining how that happened, mm-hmm. which I was worried about. Yeah. Well, I... Wouldn't as much as I do love the first forty-five or minutes or so of this movie, I don't. I'm not down on the rest of it, and I, I, I do really like it. It's like maybe my second favorite of the series. Like maybe on a good day, it's my favorite of the series because I feel like it's weird that my favorite might be the third one that Anderson did direct himself. Third, third one's, one's really, really good, good. though. <laughs> yeah, but Russell Mulcahy, uh, oh. director of Highlander, so it's no. I no love slouch Mulcahy, and, and I'm he's good. Hannah's he's a tired great director. of me talking about this, but Highlander <laughs> Two is good. Uh, I haven't seen Highlander 2. I've, I've been, always been warned off of it. But, like, I, he's, you know, of a similar, you know, like, B-movie, like, kind of guy. And I do like the uh, the second half of the of the sixth one with um, with going back into the hive. And, like, that big assault on the on their base is cool. And, like, it's, it's full of cool stuff. It's, it's more that, I think, in the beginning of six, it's more resembles like my one of my favorite types of this kind of movie which is like the before the plot kicks in wandering person who can you know wandering figure who isn't talking very much like the first 20 minutes of riddick you ever see that the yeah. the, the yeah. riddick riddick three uh, that that movie i like that movie in general but like 
the first bunch of it where it's just like him and a space dog like <laughs> wandering around i was like in such bliss or like the beginning of the the wolverine where the middle hugh jackman wolverine movie where he's like in the forest with a bear like yeah. he's like he's friends with the bear and he's just like chilling in the forest and having bad dreams always love the like you know grizzled loner doing stuff on a landscape and i really dug that aspect of six which is not really what the series does generally so it's a weird thing to favor like the you know it doesn't have that like clean geometric like you know much more clear and better lit that four and five are so like legible and like orderly and like it's very cool to see but i kind of like that that it's it's dirtied up a little bit in this one even though some of that is kind of visual cliches in terms of like Merc and, you know, fast cuts, but there's like a bit in terms of fast cuts. There's like this awesome bit in the, it, when she's on fighting the guy on the tank, another like really good fight scene. I love everything like a, about the transports. Every, yeah, it's, I think it's so, so cool. cool. And I think it's so video gamey. It is. It is. Like it's like running a, towards the back of the transport, trying to get away from the undead. It's, yes. it's a video game level. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, you can see I can see myself like pressing the button really madly and not making it. Uh, there's a bit where she like he's like he uh, Isaac's or the Isaac's clone is like you'll never go on that motorcycle because it's gonna zap you again, loser. And like <laughs> very much setting up the like the fact what she's gonna do next. But it's like a really good sequence of cuts where it's like I don't know what the exact what the emotions are, but it's like punch, grab, knife chop on the bike rev the bike like it's just like a yeah. really great it's like i was like oh this is very good like yeah. very and this is why the, they can't cover this is why the movie goes so much further in 45 minutes than the book does yeah. <laughs> in 80 pages it's such a clean shot the, of her like i am holding yeah. her hand she puts the hand on the start yeah. it goes and the book spends like two paragraphs on that which you know again, you can't to. translate that yeah yeah but i was like oh this is why this might be my favorite it's just like some of that you know really kind of rough and tumble like action filmmaking very good stuff i really like the isaac's clone so much i feel like in the book he's like he's like the the sort of secret weapon of the book because wagoner transforms him from being like uh a surprise at the end oh remember how there was that guy before he's back to this inevitability there's passages where we're just watching the isaac's clone in the transport he's coming up to the crater and he's like i'm gonna kill alice also i'm definitely the only isaac's and won't learn otherwise it's so funny when he's like i'm just gonna drive face first into the pit just like the, the level of like cuckoo bird like devotion that he has to his own plan is uh really mad that 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 wasn't in the film in <laughs> yeah. tipping the transport over the side of the crater <laughs> <laughs> but yeah everything about the transport i think is really is is really cinematic and i thought it was really thrilling on the page just in general like great set piece the tr the trap under the underpass that i mentioned earlier where she's like yes. hanging upside down fighting those guys another great idea for an action set piece so many new ideas in this that i really thought when we got to the laser hallway, I was like, yeah, like, give me, play some old hits for me. I'm full. I'm too full. <laughs> I do think it's a strong book. Like, I, I hear, Jesse, what you're saying about the action. I think it's a little hard to follow. It doesn't matter yeah, because yeah. I understand point A and point B. So, like, the stuff in the middle is fine. Um, but I do think it's, like, uh, just, like, ooh, ah, fast. And the book is, like, very clear. Here's what's happening. Yeah. Pow, pow, pow. But still exciting. Still fun. 
um, punch, punch, punch. We love Alice. <laughs> well, in the book, also, some of that stuff that I love in the movie of her, like, you know, going, you know, just kind of bumming around her wasteland before she gets her mission. And then even after she gets the mission, sort of like the, you know, kind of simplicity of that the book spends even more time with her, like sorting through the rubble yeah. of DC. And I did, I dig that a lot. Again, it's something where you mm-hmm. can really like, you can have the, my, my fantasy version of this movie is like mostly Alice, just like going around a desiccated wasteland. <laughs> and the book gives me that for a bunch of it. And like, I almost found like less, like as the book sort of converge with the movie and become, becomes a little closer to it in the second half. I mean, there's stuff, obviously, like the uh, Thin Man and other things that are elaborated on. But I noticed a lot more, having watched the movie right after, I was like, oh, th- as this goes on, the book it becomes closer mm-hmm. to the, the story. of the- It becomes more like, oh, this is saying the same lines with a little extra versus like these entire, you know, like subplots that are excised from the movie. And I kind of enjoyed that, that like more languid, like Alice in the Wasteland, mm-hmm. like stuff in the first. In I part, like when he chooses to expand and chooses to compress. Like I was struck during the laser fight. There's a part where it basically just says they fought. Yeah. Like it, it's not going move by move. It's not trying to capture yeah. everything. It's just like they fought and she was tired and it was hard moving on. And I appreciate it. Like we've had a lot of uh, intense like fight descriptions. We don't need it here. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. They're fighting each other. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that, especially towards the end of the book when you're kind of like, all right, let's, let's wrap it up. Let's get there. I want to see what happens. Um, that he yeah. knows enough to be like, you don't need beat by beat on this one. Yeah. Hannah, would you agree that this is something we see in a lot of novelizations? Is that the, flowery, the floweriness of the storytelling and the, the, mm-hmm. the sort of license that they're taking, it falls away as the book goes on? Yes, I think we ha- that is accurate. <laughs> Either that authors <laughs> get tired or... I mean, it's or hard that to plots say. necessarily get more plotty towards the end mm-hmm. because they're building towards a climax. And so at the beginning, when you're doing your guy wakes up in bed, loves his wife so much, oh no, who's outside <laughs> chapter, you get to be like, you know, he rolled over and thought about how Susan had been on their second anniversary, the way she'd broken her toe, but still had <laughs> such a great demeanor or whatever. Yeah. And then at the end, you have to be like, he jumped from here to here. He punched the bad guy in the face. Like it kind of makes sense that the fat falls away um mm, and personally and i'm not accusing tim wagoner of this but i think in some cases we've seen authors who have become disenchanted with the story as it's gone <laughs> yeah i don't think he does i think he's still pretty with it i mean there, even when he's compressing and things are moving fast he still has moments where he takes time to be like alice thought about all the people she'd ever lost and then he like lists 20 people and I yeah. appreciate, like, he's engaged, I think. It is moving fast, but, like, he's still on top of where the characters are emotionally and what they need to do. He does seem to really care for, like, he wants to give Alice, like, kind of a, it's not an ending that I love just because it feels a little, like, oh, well, she's fine fulfill, finds fulfillment through having a child. Yeah. But it also is very sweet that he, like, wants to give her this, like, real life at the end of it. Like, the memories the idea at the end of the movie that the red queen downloads memories and gives them to alice so she can have like a kind of a fuller feeling of experience in her life which is like a really weird one because like she's very aware that these are not real yeah uh so i, I wonder how effective that would be <laughs> emotionally years of meaningful memories <laughs> yeah okay. yeah exactly like that mm-hmm. when do you really need to find like at the time you went to, went for ice cream does she not know what ice cream is <laughs> like you know 
like but it's it's a very it's an interesting science fiction idea but i feel like it it actually lands better it's more emotional in the book Mm -hmm. that that because that makes more sense if you're then going i think i think if you're going on to raise a child or look after and to have a life that isn't just fighting which the movie is going to i do want to say that in the acknowledgements in the book the last part of the acknowledgements from the author is an extra special thanks to Mila Jovovich, who in six movies has portrayed one of the greatest action-adventure heroes of all time. I hope I did her Alice justice. Wow. Which yeah. is really sweet. And I think speaks to like why he wants to give her a nice send-off where she gets to go have a nice yeah. life with this little girl and Claire, we assume. They're just going to like yeah. co-parent this baby. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a baby. She's like 12 or whatever. But like, <laughs> it's, it's so nice to think that Alice, who has been through so much pain, and so much loss, and everyone she's ever loved has died. <laughs> to just be able to be like, now I get to build something new and healthy in a world that isn't ravaged by monsters. I like yeah. that impulse a lot. I think it's very sweet. And I also want that for Alice, who I like. Yeah. I love her, and I want her to be happy. She deserves that. <laughs> yeah. I-, I think the she book does. It's true. has a lot of good Alice interiority. Um, one of the passages is just about how she doesn't remember anything, and she's like... You know, it should upset me that I don't really have a sense of self, but I kind of have such a sense of purpose that it's okay. As a quick side note, I think it's really funny at the very end when Alice is like, but wasn't Umbrella going to go slaughter all those people with their own human hands? And the Red Queen is like, oh, I told them not to. (laughs) She's like, that's that's not the problem. The problem is the zombies. Don't worry about it. We solved (laughs) the, um, it's no, and everything's good. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Andrew, go ahead. I just didn't want to No, you're good. You're good. Um, Very funny thing to me. Alice turned to her friend. I don't have a choice. Everything has led to this. One life for the life of many. She'd spent her entire life, which spanned a mere ten years, fighting and killing. She knew nothing else, was good at nothing else. And when the world was saved, when there were no more monsters to battle, what purpose would she have then? What kind of life could she hope to make for herself? A living weapon with no wars, no more wars to fight. If she had to die to save humanity, then so be it. At least then her life, such as it was, would have met, would have had meaning. I don't think she knows yet that she's a clone, but that's real clone talk. She's basically just being <laughs> like, everything I've done is for this. And it's like, more than you know, buddy. Yeah. So well, I sad. love that she, her saying, and she says this in the movie too, and they, I think they, they do elucidate it better in the, in the novel. But, you know, I feel like my whole life has been running and, running and killing, which is like a great also like, Paul W.S. Anderson video game movie ethos. <laughs> like, yeah, that is that is what you're doing, is you're running and killing. That's what these movies are. Um, but there is, like, Jovovich, and also in the in the writing in the novel, like, brings some real pathos to that idea of, like, yeah, this is, you know, what does it mean to be, like, an action hero in a long-running series where, like, you really aren't allowed to develop these kind of, you know, or you have to develop them in the kind of corners of the movie or of, the, of, the, of your story, but you're mo- you're mainly expected to, like, do the thing where you run and kill and jump and get lasers, <laughs> you know, d- d- dodge lasers, etc. And there's something kind of weirdly poignant about that that the book brings out. Yeah, Wagner, though, does seem interested in other aspects of the post-apocalyptic society. He dedicates like a page and a half to talking about how Claire and Doc... Uh, operate in sort of like the new romantic norm. And yes. he basically is like, so here's the thing. There's undead everywhere and you're constantly unsafe. So as opposed to courting in any way, you basically meet someone that you have the slightest feeling for and you go, hey, I have feelings for you. And they go, me too. And then you guys just go for it. 
<laughs> There's something sort of like nice about that, I think. I'm just being like, we're in the worst situation in the world. We found some comfort in each other. Let's just commit to it 110%. Kind of lovely. <laughs> I mean, that relationship that Doc... doesn't work out. No, it doesn't. Um, and I think like the movie doesn't do a lot of work on their relationship. The book does a lot more of like these people are thinking about each other pretty often. And Claire is always like, oh, I hope Doc is okay. He's not really a fighter. Um, like that a lot. And then he's like, nope, I'm a traitor and I don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Mackin, breaking my heart. Uh, Jesse Hasinger, y- you are a Christ-obsessed... <laughs> What 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 role does Isaacs have? Is he a, does he have a station oh. that I should refer to him as? <laughs> I think he's a CEO. Yeah, You're a Christ obsessed yeah. clone of a CEO. <laughs> you drive the biggest car one could possibly imagine down desecrated streets, uh, and you love to read your Bible. However, you notice one day that your Bible accidentally went out the window and was eaten by the undead uh, trailing your car. Uh, You need to reach for another book. Based on what you know in this life, would you tell this version of yourself to reach for Resident Evil, the final chapter by Tim Wagoner? I would because of the insight. (laughs) It would bring to to your situation. Maybe you could realize something about yourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting question whether to recommend this book because the context of like I as someone who doesn't hasn't read a lot of novelizations like again I'm not sure this might be the first one since my girl the of the Anikovsky <laughs> Macaulay Culkin movie that I've read all the way through I think I've flipped through them in bookstores um but I would say for Resident Evil fans like if you're you know if you really like the movie series if you like the games I don't I can't help I probably can't help you like I don't know I don't know what to do. Um, I guess monster energy drink. Um, like, but <laughs> if, if you like the series of films and have, but have felt like, Oh, there's, you know, something missing <laughs> because they literally seem to be excising certain character moments or plot moments from the, from the story. Certainly you should check out this book because it like has, you know, it, it gives you like more Alice stuff and sort of smooths over some narrative like speed bumps that the movie hits uh for sure like it, it's also a quick read like it's you know it, it like if you're in the tank like actually it might be even bad if you're in the tank because you'd be done with it before you get to the next town i read this book very quickly and like partially because it's like compelling you know tight prose but also because it's you know it's like a, a adaptation of an hour 45 minute movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> hannah blackman yes you are a doctor who fell in love with Claire Redfield. Okay. You were, you're, you're, you're approached by the Umbrella Corporation and they say, we really need someone on the inside to betray the good guys. I'm fascinated by this conception of how that happened. And you, and you, <laughs> and you ask them, you say, well, you know, I am morally malleable. I could see this. I can see this working out for you. Uh-huh. What are you going to offer me uh, to get me to betray the woman I love? And they say, well, what we have is this a is copy a of setup. Resident <laughs> Evil, the final chapter by Tim Wagoner, based on a screenplay mm-hmm. by Paul W.S. Anderson, based on characters from Capcom's Resident Evil video game. <laughs> yeah. Would you take the offer? No, I would not. 
I, I think this book is pretty good. And the more we talked about it, the more I've sort of come around on it. A couple of days ago, I think I sent Andrew a message that was like, I think it's bad. I think it's rote. I think it's really just like to the point. It is richer than that. And it gets richer as it goes along. I do think there's a lot of value in here. Um, I don't think it would make me betray all my friends and also the future of humanity. Like, I don't think it's that good. <laughs> but um, I think if, yeah, like Jesse was saying, if you like Resident Evil, the movies, you want to spend some more time with our best buddy, Alice, then like, yeah, I would do this. I ordered the f- novelization of the first book. I think at this point I'll get the second one because I'm curious and I love Matt and I want more Matt and I miss him and I'm devastated Eric Mabius <laughs> is never back. Devastated. <laughs> it seems um, like a real missed opportunity. What, he's too good for it? Come on. Um, anyway, well, so, speak- yeah. Oh, and speaking of which, I meant to say this earlier, but I kept getting confused every time Dr. Isaacs came up in this book because it's just impossible for me to not picture yeah. Jason Isaacs from Resident Evil 1 appearing in, like, one shot as a doctor. Yeah, with a mask on, so you might not know if you weren't aware of his very <laughs> distinctive eyes. And I think yeah. that Jason Isaacs is playing Dr. Isaacs. Like, I really believe that it's the same character. Oh. He wouldn't come back, so they had to recast him, which is even weirder. I pictured him as Jason Isaacs for this entire book. <laughs> j'adore, j'adore. Um, so no, I would, I would recommend this book to a very specific subsect of people, but it's, it's better than I thought it was, especially in the first hundred pages where I was like, oh, brother. And then it really picks up and warms up and becomes something that I enjoyed a lot. That's me. Andrew Overby, mm-hmm. you are a lady who once upon a time woke up in a mansion with no memory of what was happening. You made oh, a bunch of like friends the over the past. Yeah, I, you're welcome. <laughs> um, you made a bunch of friends over ten years of fighting zombies. Most of them died. Some of them got their brains squished and scrambled. It's very unpleasant. <laughs> and you are like, what? A- okay, sorry. Hold on. I'm doing this on the fly. Let me get back to it. All right, so you've been through a lot of trauma. Everything sucks. You finally save the day. You get to go live your great life with, like, Allie Larder, a hot girlfriend. Maybe you'll kiss later. You haven't decided yet when things settle down, you know. You have, like, a daughter (laughs) out of nowhere. You're ready to have a nice life. So you guys go and find a pleasant suburban home, and there's a library in that home. And in that (laughs) library is Resident (laughs) Evil, the final chapter. Would you read it? Would you then recommend it to your girlfriend, Allie Larder? (laughs) <laughs> I would read it uh, I think here's the thing I like this movie a lot I don't necessarily like it's not one of those situations where I'm like I need a novelization to fix the movie all I come to this series for is kicks and punches and blood <laughs> and bullets and it's all there this one has it more than like any of the ones before it it really goes out with a bang uh, so I love that but this jesse you were saying earlier that like these movies don't really prioritize story and interiority and developing the small characters which is true but even so this is the worst one it like (laughs) it doesn't give any time there's no um there's no new ally larder character in this movie like she at least in whatever movie she comes up in extinction probably she at least is like here's my deal and my philosophy and i have a brother and nobody gets that in this movie it's just like run punch shoot everybody's dying who were they we don't know so i think the novel is really valuable for that if you like the movie already don't do what i did don't read the book before you watch the movie if you like (laughs) the movie already then definitely read this to find out 
who the Thin Man is, and most importantly, to just get a lot more of Isaac's beta time, or Isaac's prime, whatever we're calling him, because that guy is a loon, and probably the most interesting character in all six movies. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on what you're looking for in a character, but sure, yeah, he's got a lot going on. Where the end of an episode usually would go... Instead, a transition will go, uh, and we'll be back with the author of the book, Tim Wagoner, in no time to you. Joining us now, uh, the author of the book that you've just heard us discuss for an extended period of time, Tim Wagoner. Uh, he is has most recently published the Writing in the Dark Workbook. Uh, which is about the craft of writing horror, how to do it effectively, and if you should do it at all. I made up that uh, tagline. How'd you feel about it, no, Tim? That sounds good. <laughs> what, uh, what novelizations, if any, were sort of formative for you? Um, Dean Allen Foster wrote a bunch of them uh, back in the day, and he still does every once in a while. But I used to read those and really enjoy them. Um, when the Star Trek movies started coming out, because I loved Star Trek as a kid, and so it was great to read those. What about, uh, what about the Resident Evil franchise did you have a, a relationship with the either the movies or the video games prior to taking on that project movies mostly you know i'd seen all of them in the theaters and i think i played i think it was like the very first one that was released in the arcade maybe if there was one unless i'm getting a mixed up with something okay. else i just remember going to like a dave and busters or somewhere and playing something like that. And when the movie came out, I was surprised because it was so different. So maybe I'm getting it mixed up with something else. I don't know. But they really enjoyed all the movies. In fact, I, I think, Hannah, you were alluding to, we think that the movies are like patently very different from the video games. because That's what I've heard. Apparently part of the lore of the second one, uh, uh, Apocalypse, is that the reason it has like an extra fourth act on the movie where what happens at the end of Apocalypse? She gets... It kidnapped or something. There's a whole hospital sequence at the end that comes out of nowhere. Um, and apparently the reason that happened was because fans were so incensed over how different the first movie was that with the second one, they just tacked on like, we have straight up adapted part of a game. <laughs> Tim, did you feel indebted at all to like trying to capture some of that video game energy or was it just like fully a separate creative exercise yeah i mean i tried to capture the movies the feel of them and the energy of them didn't worry about the video game so much since i hadn't played it did you feel like uh, we're something we were talking about on the on our conversation earlier is how much into your sorry let me pronounce this correctly interiority the the novel is able to bring which is obviously often the case with like with a novelization but is that something you have thought about a lot in terms of like alice across the movies is that you know was that like kind of a goal going into this to bring more of that to the into the into the novel version or was it more of a you know something that happened more organically as you worked through it it was, it was a goal to do that i mean you know she's got a real existential thing going on about who she is and her identity and you know what's her place in this world it's falling apart all around her um and plus kind of the way the the script was set up it had, you know, more about, you know, her and her connection to, to everything that was going on and things. So, yeah, I mean, it really was an intention. Plus, you got to fill up a book. The script's only so long. 
You know, they're, they're only like a hundred pages or so, 120 pages. They only, they, if you just typed it up, it would only fill like a small portion of a book. So that really helps. But it's also, you know, the thing I enjoyed so much when I you know, read them when I was in, in high school and early college. So it, yeah, that's a big part of the fun for me is being able to do that. I tried to do that for my novelization of the triple the, the X sequel. And they took it all out. They told me I had to take it all out. Because, oh, no. Yes, because they, they said he's a man of action. He does not think. And I said, well, yeah. he does not think. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm like, OK, all right, fine. I'll just I'll just take out every thought he has. And I did. So. <laughs> and you're just like describing action. <laughs> Imagine getting that note as an act. <laughs> <laughs> What's my motivation here? Oh, I'm sorry. Was I not clear? Your character doesn't think. Right. <laughs> he has no motivation. He just responds like a one-celled organism. <laughs> That's so fascinating. I mean, was there feedback you got on this book that changed the writing of nope, it? Nope, nothing. Oh, nice. I was, I was worried since I basically wrote like a mini little book of my own at the very beginning to try to tie up the the bizarre yes. disconnection between <laughs> okay. the movies. And I was afraid they'd tell me to take it out, but they evidently liked it okay. From what I heard. It's so helpful to have yes. that connective thread. You've already answered questions just in that statement that I had, <laughs> which is the script that you're working on. First off, what what um, material were you provided with? Did you have the whole script to work yep. with? I'm assuming there wasn't a cut of the movie yet. Right? Yep. Yeah, I, I had just the script and you never know what version you're going to get. And you can also tell when the scripts come in, even though they're they're not colored you know, it's just black and white or whatever. It's listed on each page, like which version it is. And they're usually a version by color. And so, and there's all these pages, sometimes scenes are, are reproduced. Like they don't even realize they've got the same scene twice in the script, mm -hmm. which they'll figure out when they make the movie. Um, so, you know, it's already, you know, <laughs> cut together from a bunch of different things. Um, they don't give you anything whatsoever other than that. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, hunting the internet for all the stuff that gets leaked early. As many images as I can find that might tell me how uh, things look like. Like there's, um, I don't know if they're exactly a gang, but a group of survivors that she runs into in the in this movie. And in the script, they're all described as having skull tattoos on their faces. And I was like, do they really have those? And I, I managed to find pictures online where it's like, no, they don't. One guy has a skull on his little jacket. <laughs> So, you know, I would try to do that just to create that kind of weird, you know, disconnection when people would read the book after seeing the movie. So the original script then did not have, I mean, it basically is as presented in the movie. It did not, it did not clarify what happened in Washington, D.C. I was horrified. Oh my I was God. horrified when I said the movie. I was horrified. I was because it's like, you know, they has this gigantic ending to the last one. You know, they're all on the. The Capitol building or whatever, and the you know they're waiting to fight this gigantic horde of of all these monsters, and the next one she just crawls out of a hole, and <laughs> it, it doesn't say. I mean, I, we assume that that's how she survived, but it doesn't say anything about what happened, and it says nothing whatsoever about the little girl that she bonded so strongly to in the in the movie before. So everything in terms of how that battle is described in. Excellent detail and very clear and like logical progression. That was all your invention, yep. essentially. Yep. I made it all up. Wow! And I got that's terrific. I got in trouble with one lady, young. I think she's probably a young woman, but who emailed me and said, "Jill Valentine's my hero. Why did you kill her off?" And I'm like, <laughs> "She's not in the movie. She's not in the movie. Besides, it's, they could all come back somehow. I mean, it's you know, yeah, it's possible." 
the devastating we didn't discuss this in the in the episode but the devastating double fake out of jill valentine dying showing back up to save alice and then being like no i am really dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that uh, felt to me from a screen from a screenwriting perspective not speaking of your book it felt a little irresponsible that that not only did they skip the battle they really don't explain what happened at all and it must have been really hard to kind of like cobble together what's going on with the interiority of the character and everything one thing i really like about the interiority in the in the novel is that there's this big twist coming at the end right about how she's a clone and so you put in all this interiority that makes it seem like oh this is just something the writer's doing because it's really interesting but it actually serves a purpose because it it also reminds us this is her whole deal Mm -hmm. so then actually the twist like means something you know do you have a uh, this is sort of an odd question perhaps but uh through well actually uh when you that's like sorry related question that occurs to me first as a fan of the movies and i don't mean to i'm not trying to coax you into this talking bad about the movie which i really liked too i liked your book a lot and i liked the the film a lot too but was it weird watching the film having kind of written your own version that like frankly makes more sense than the than what you're presented within the film like were you able to enjoy the film then or did you i don't know did you not see it or anything like that like how, how what was the experience of of having this final movie of the series you had seen come after you had already kind of written a a version of it. Yeah, it's really weird. I've done four novelizations and each time I can't watch the movie as a movie. It feels way too fast Mm -hmm. for me because I've spent so much time expanding it. It almost goes by like in a a rush. And some of the things, they just look different than I imagined because I had to imagine the visuals because I didn't have them. And uh, sometimes things, they're they're just changes that make no sense. Like in the end of the, the, the movie, the, you know, the, uh, the last one, she's just driving off to New York to kill some monsters or something. I don't know. And I was like, <laughs> so yeah, there's, it's, it's, it's a weird experience, but I've seen them all in the theater. It's fun. Do you have a, before the sixth one, which obviously is a very different creature for you. I wanted to know, is there like of the first five, is there one that you like the most? You have like a particular attachment to just as a fan? Um, the, whichever one had the, uh, the, the zombie, crows or whatever the giant yes <laughs> that's extension the third yeah yeah we were just extension. talking to yeah. we all are we all dig extension yeah i think that's <laughs> the one i like the best it just felt it felt different and yeah. it seemed like they did some different things in anyone yeah. where any movie where wex uh wexler gets to be like a, a super badass that's good because he wasn't <laughs> in the final movie he, he didn't do much and so i tried to like in the, the novelization bump him up to make him more powerful more villainous and I was afraid they'd have me take that out, but they did. I love that stuff. I'm so glad it's there. Yeah. It's so gooey and icky, <laughs> and he's, he's such a horrifying threat that like just looms in the background. It adds like an extra level of tension right. that is so exciting. Right. Yeah. Did you invent the sequel hook of, of Wesker's blood, or was that in the No, script? I made that up. <laughs> I, I just made it up. You know, but what do they do, though, if... They make Resident Evil Seven with the with the same people, and that it just goes in a different direction. They just, I guess, they just make a novelization that well, pretends that didn't happen. Well, yeah. the blood's very elegant, like isn't it? Because like it's something where you can it's it's sitting there, and it can be something a thousand years in the future, or it could inform the next one, or it could be right. you know, it's like it, you have a lot of flexibility there, and it's it's kind of much crazier and cooler 
sequel tease, then Alice is going to go fight some more monsters, <laughs> which is a fun, you know, I enjoy in the movie, but it's, it's not as like, it doesn't give as many possibilities maybe as the, as the, as his blood being like plotting, <laughs> plotting underground. That's very cool. Uh, speaking of whole cloth inventions, Danya Cardoza, is that all you? So is that the, is that the character? I can't even remember. I wrote the book so long ago. That's the character. <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just telling Hannah, I, I've been, I, I, we have another author interview coming up and I, I talked to the guy and I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll, can't wait to talk to you about this book. And he was like, I wrote it in 1997. So I don't know how much I'm going to have to say. Um, <laughs> but is, is she, is but, uh, she in the beginning battle? Is that the. Yes. So she, it, it, she was the one that West okay, is like, you know, this is my rival. I right. basically tricked right. you into helping me defeat her. And then her, she comes back later in the book. Is that's totally. Yeah, I you. made that up. Made her completely up. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was really cool. I got a. I, uh, I was interviewed by. A, I don't. I don't know what magazine it was, but in Spain because they were really excited that there was a, you know, a character of a you know Hispanic descent that was like such a prominent part of that movie. And so I, you know, I think it's really cool. People talk about representation matters, and it it really does, even in small ways. Uh, it can really make a big difference. Yeah, she she gets a clone too. Yep. She comes back halfway through the book. Sneaks up behind Wesker, gets done in twice. <laughs> Just the dream. <laughs> so out of the four novelizations you've done, so you've done Resident Evil, mm-hmm. you've done Triple X. Mm-hmm. I know these. What are the What are the other two? Uh, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, and Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course, Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. So um, which, which one of those were you given sort of the most leniency with? Was it this one? Well, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I didn't have, I've never had anybody, except for Xander Cage's thoughts. I didn't have anybody tell me that, <laughs> you know, I had to pull some stuff out. But the worst thing that, and I did have to, I changed some of the dialogue to make it simpler in Halloween Kills because some of the lines would have an actor saying the word no three times, but you can't, you mm-hmm. can't reproduce that on the page. So I cut it down to one and they got, upset about that they're like no all the dialogue has to be exactly the same but that was a small thing wow but it wasn't you know other than that they didn't have me change anything i added stuff about michael and from his point of view and they were just fine mm-hmm. um the the one that it was the hardest was uh, the golden circle because uh, unbeknownst to myself and my editor they gave us two different scripts and so i wrote the book from the script i had and when she got the draft she's like what the hell is this <laughs> And I said, what? And then we found out what happened. So she gave me her script and I was like, oh my God. Okay. So I went ahead and wrote the book on that. And then in this, I swear to God, this never, ever, ever happens in the world of novelizations, but it did for me. The director's like, he needs to come out to Hollywood and see the movie before, so he can put everything in the movie in. So wow. yep, they flew me out to Hollywood and I wasn't allowed to bring my computer. I had to take notes with my notebook, you know, by hand. And what they did was I never saw the movie just all the way through. They'd stop it every like minute or two. And I had to write down every single thing I saw and I had to write oh down all the dialogue because that's what the director oh, wanted. Wow. It took, God, I don't know, six hours to do that. I was so, so you ended up writing that book like three times. Yeah. So what I did when I was like, I got home, I was like, I'm like <laughs> I have all these different things. So I decided to just take all my favorite pieces of the three scripts <laughs> and just stitch them together and then leave out. I only left out a couple of things from the final movie that I, I didn't like um, or in a sequence that they had a really cool action sequence that they cut completely out that I just left in. Um, 
but it was weird because the the one character merlin i mean he dies he doesn't die then he dies there's a big romance between him and holly berry's character in all the scripts they get cut out that's the thing i've noticed about doing novelizations as people complain in the action movies that there's no characterization all four of those scripts i've had have they have all that stuff in there all over the place it's what gets cut because there's not enough time but the script writers write it it's still in there so is this, is that apply to resident evil as well yeah. was there a lot more interiority and stuff for this one yeah like what 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 ended up on the cutting room floor for for this movie i don't know if they left oh um there was a scene where alice is getting her ribs taped because she you know cracked them or whatever and there's a little bit of mm-hmm. characterization that goes on there yeah you know some places where their dialogue would just be cut it was characterization uh, focused mm-hmm. i don't think they cut a lot it seems like a pretty tight a to b they had a plan right, when they got right. there yeah i think they probably had more in the script about the the one crazy guy who was i forget his name but he was like unleashing the zombies or whatever he had like a he was on a tank or something a transport mm-hmm. uh yeah i remember that there was probably a little more in the script about him than showed up in the film but. my favorite part of the book is is yeah the the um the clone of Isaacs, who's on that crazy religious power trip. Right. And then yeah. at the end finds out he's a clone sort of mirroring Alice's thing. That mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. What so at this point you obviously have a you know, a resume as a novelizationist, in addition to just being, you know, an, an author in your own right. The first novelization, which I guess chronologically would have been, uh, would, have, would it have been Triple X? No, no, the first one. Was your first? Resident Evil was the first one. So how does how does that come to you initially? Like, are, are studios sort of going through, you know, piles of, you know, looking through publications of the last year, this person, like, writes science fiction, this person writes horror, or... How did that sort of come to be? Well, it, it usually comes through the publisher first because they they will like approach a studio and try to get the license for something. So they may say, we'd love to do a novelization of so-and-so movie or like we'd like to do some supernatural novels. Can we do that? And then they, they get mm-hmm. the license or they don't. And once they get the license and they go out and look for writers and it may be writers they worked with before or agents might have been in touch with them and said, you know, my client would love to do a novelization. And when they find somebody, then they have to go ahead and ask the studio if that person's okay or not. And uh, then if you're okay, most of the time studios don't seem to care. There was one movie today, the studio, I think, changed their minds. And I don't want to say which one it was, but they decided since the, the character was a main character was a woman, they'd rather have a woman write it. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, that was no no problem for me. Uh, another one had a lot of the military stuff in it, so I think they wanted somebody with more. I don't have any military experience. So, you know, sometimes, you know, the studios will pass on you. But overall, you know, it seems like they haven't been all, all that picky. <laughs> really, if the, you know, if the publisher says you're okay, they're fine. Is there a film series you'd love to, or any kind of filmmaker or whatever you'd love to take a crack at for one of these assignments? God, I don't know. I'd love to do something with Star Trek just because I grew up with it. That would be really cool. They've tragically stopped doing novelizations. There was a novelization of Star Trek Into Darkness and Star mm-hmm. Trek 2009. Then no this beyond. movie came out. Yeah. It's oh, called man. Star Trek Beyond. No novelization. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that. I have no yeah. idea. Heartbreaking. And it's the best of the bunch, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. I'd love to do a, a, a Friday the 13th one. Because I've, I've got to write an original adventure of uh, Freddy Krueger 
years ago. And wow. uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then I got to do, you know, Michael for the Halloween novelization. So it's like, now I got to do Jason. So that'd be great. <laughs> any, any of the old, like uh, universal monsters I grew up with as a kid, that'd be really cool. Even if it was like the modern version of them, that the ones we're doing now, like the new invisible man, stuff like that would be great. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you do with, um, what did you do with nightmare? I, so I'm, I'm seeing here what is, uh, it's called Protégé. Uh, and I'm on Elm Street Protégé. Yeah, no, we just, it was, it's, it's just making up original adventures. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Black Library, which who publishes Warhammer and stuff, um, they had for a while you know, license to do original stories based on New Line cinema properties. So it was Jason and then Space Jason, Jason X, and then mm-hmm. Freddy and um, Final Destination. And uh, so I, I did, the, it was just original you know, story. Uh, it took a long time for the studio to to look at the uh, outlines. And so my editor was like, just start writing your book. It'll be fine. And I wrote 60 pages of a book and the studio said, no way, you can't do this. Because <laughs> my idea was that, that Freddie would retur- return to being human. He uh, was chasing a, a girl in her dreams and she jumped through from the other side, the dream catcher that she has hanging above her bed. And when he jumped through, he came out as human. And oh my god, so, and then yeah, he's breaking and entering. That's yeah, so and he doesn't have any. <laughs> so at first, he's like pretty happy to be human again, but eventually, he realizes how limited he is and he wants to go back. But something has taken over his place in the dream realm, and so he has to deal deal with that thing. And wow, the studio said that, that we, really yeah, cool. we weren't allowed yeah. to do it. The studio said we're not, we don't ever want to mention that Freddy Krueger, you know, was a pedophile that killed children, <laughs> and if he's human, that oh, brings that thing. back up again. Yeah. And all we want is for him to to jump through someone's dream catcher so that he's in a child's bedroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> exactly. But he's not there to do anything untoward. <laughs> yeah. Except murder them. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Just good, clean murder. So, but I already, I had an idea to, to do kind of a wink at that. I was going to have him, you know, hanging out around a playground, trying to talk to a couple kids. But these are kids that since he's been dead, they all know about stranger danger and everything. So they just, they just, you know, tell him to, screw off and run and so he's, it's not easy you know, for him anymore and then that was it that's all i was going to do but yeah so i had to come up with a whole new idea and i just came up with the idea of of protege which is he's trying to 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 work through uh, a teenager uh, since he can't enter into the real world as easily Oh, wait. So the one you described was not the book? Correct. Yeah, I could not do the one where he became human. Oh, my God. My heart is breaking. (laughs) (laughs) I know there hasn't been a nightmare movie in so long, and that would be like a great, that's a great idea for one. Did you, did you find it, even though you had to, you know, revise completely, did you find it, was it a, was it a satisfying experience on the whole? To to write the partial one, you mean? Oh, we're just the kind of whole process of working with. Oh, yeah, it was, it was fine. It was fine. You know, I had to. I was just, I'd never done something like this that it connected to a studio. I mean, I'd done other tie-ins that connected to other properties, but not, not like a movie property. And I was suspicious that when the director, I mean, the, uh, the editor was like, oh yeah, they'll love it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, are you sure? Cause I really don't want to start writing this book, but that's the only time anything like that happened to me. Everything else. I mean, it's sometimes uh, a lot of times, most times when you do a tie-in, you don't have a long time to write them. Like with the novelizations, you may get a month because they, the book has to come out like a, a week after the movie comes out. And so you don't have a very long time to write them. So, you know, the longer it takes for the studio to approve an outline, the worse it is for you. 
That's why for Kingsman, they were saying, get out here right now and watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was pretty much was the movie. The Some of the CGI wasn't finished all the way, but it was pretty much the movie that was in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you is that is your process in writing general generally fast i mean is that is that something you kind of brought to this or is it something you had to learn to do more quickly because of these those kind of constraints no i'm usually a fast writer so that helps a lot and plus you already have the script which helps a lot too because what you're doing really it's like a collaboration it's just with people you're never going to meet but um (laughs) and the i just invented my own process which is i figure i have to keep all the dialogue so the first thing i do is type all the dialogue up and then I can build scenes around it and put scenes in between it. But that tells me how many more words I have to deal with. And for the four that I've done, the dialogue is, God, it was the same amount of, amount of words for each one. It's not a lot. I mean, it might be 10,000 words maybe for right. each one. I was surprised it was the same amount for, for each one. So are you usually given a, a length that the novelization needs to hit? Yeah, it's in the it's in the the contract. Whenever you sign a book contract for something that's not written yet, you know, it's a uh-huh. something you're supposed to write. Yeah, there's usually a page range, uh, like between um, eighty and ninety thousand usually. Triple X wow, was okay. a little shorter because of the stuff they made me cut out. Oh yeah, they also <laughs> made me cut out the scene that I wrote where I wrote a scene where Triple X met the second Triple X. Oh, so so we can find cool. out why they know each other. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of had them battling sort of sort of zombies in Mexico, kind of sort of, and it was re- really cool. But, you know, they they had me take that out too. I was so upset. So that one was a little shorter. It might have been a little was a little shorter than eighty thousand because of that. But but yeah, usually eighty to ninety thousand. So what is your uh, what is your other writing fair sort of entail? Like what uh what 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 books are you? Are are you most proud of that you've written, and and what do you what do you have coming up? What uh, oh. what what kind of sandboxes do you like to play in? Well, my own stuff is like horror, but it's very dark fantasy tinged, um, and I uh, really enjoy writing that. That's kind of my own stuff. Um, I like writing any kind of tie-in because it's just interesting. It's 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 kind of like acting. I was an acting major for a little while in college, and you know you mm-hmm. get a role and you have to kind of find your way into the role. And with tie-in writing, you're kind of like an actor and a director and a script writer, sort of, all at the same time. But you kind of mm-hmm. have to be a chameleon because you have to fit into this feel of whatever the property is and, you know, the, the rhythms of the storytelling, it's there. So, I really enjoy that part, too. Um, I mean, it's I, I, I end up doing a lot of horror ones or, or, or ones that are horror-ish just because it's the kind of thing I'm, I'm known for more. But, you know, I'm happy to do, to do anything. Um, when it comes to tie-ins, uh, proud of my supernatural books. I did three well, overall. I think I've done five, but I've done three that uh, uh, were for Titan books or were just new adventures, and that was fun because they let me stick in like a parallel adventure of them as kids each time. I didn't know if they'd let me do it, but they did. So that was fun, and then I got to do a choose-your-own-adventure with Sam and Dean. And once and once they asked me to do that, I'm like wait a minute, this is supernatural. The choose your own adventure can be real. And so I actually made it part of the plot, which was a lot of fun. Uh, one, of my, one of my bad endings was Dean slipping on ice and breaking his leg. So they had to go to the hospital. <laughs> one of the editors wanted me to take that out. And the other one's like, no, they, they have horrible endings all over, all over the book. Let's have this one right here. So I got to keep that. What, um, what do you mean by it, it, it? You tied it into a plot. Oh, I mean, the, 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 all the different endings are actually happening to them. The good endings, the bad endings, all the paths. Were, right. were literally happening to them. They didn't know it till the end. But 
Well, oh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So like, it's the, yeah. the choose your own adventure as part of the sort right. of fantasy. Yeah, because originally what the editors, right. I mean, the publisher wanted was four separate stories. And so I made it four separate stories, but they all connected to whatever plot this one God had going on. Did you interact much with, I know that I, I haven't seen very much of Supernatural, but I know the fan base is like intense and loves that show. It was such a beloved, I feel like it was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly every, every, every other month for like 15 years or something. Yeah. Uh, did you have any like experiences with fans or sort of, you know, in, interactions or just like, did you get a sense of people were digging it? I just would imagine it's such a weird world of... Uh, of dedication people have to that stuff yeah you know i didn't really get too many emails from people i mean sometimes like on social media people will reach out and say you know really liked your book i didn't have anybody do the the kind of thing you expect from social media where they reach out and say you suck you ruined everything <laughs> um, but some of the some of the reviews should see that i mean you would see one review would say he's never seen supernatural he doesn't know the characters and the next one would be he's the best supernatural writer he understands the character better than anybody and with something like this i mean it's it was a little intimidating to approach because, you know, everybody's got their own version of the show in their head. There's as many different, you know, Sam and Dean's as there are people that watch the show. And knowing that it's kind of hard to approach the property, but I just took a deep breath and just went for it. The conceit of that series is that they're fighting demons and stuff, right? Yeah. It's, it's monsters. Yeah. And it's really hard because it's, it, as the years went by, they ended up fighting things like God, literally God. And, <laughs> and then you're supposed to believe that next week they're having trouble fighting a couple ghouls. And I'm like, there's no way in hell. There's no way in hell. So when I tried really hard in my books to, to ignore all that stuff. And plus they're, but they have a buddy who's an angel. And uh, I've heard it described. It's like having your best friend be Superman when you're in trouble. And so I made sure he was in none of my books because of that. Even though I like the character, I like the way Misha Collins plays him. But I, it, you can't have a character in a book that can just solve all the problems right away. It's got to be pretty much impossible to keep stakes interesting over 15 years or however long that show ran, right? Andrew, you have no idea. So in a lot of ways, it's easier to write the book because I can just have the stakes for that particular book. So. And you were allowed to set them anywhere in the sequence of the show. They weren't saying like, we're in season 10, we need season 10 stories. Nope. I just picked, oh, I, that's awesome. I usually picked the, the season that had gone by just since it, I could see all those episodes. And only once did they tell me that, uh, that Bobby had died and they said that I can't mention anything about Bobby at all. They didn't tell me why. And I'm like, oh, I guess Bobby's coming back. <laughs> that's the only thing that i was told i couldn't do the first one i did they gave me all the scripts for the entire season that hadn't come out wow. yet and i was like thanks guys but i don't really need all these to, just to write this <laughs> guess you're really hoping that i incorporate a lot of continuity <laughs> wow. and i'm glad i mean i'm thinking it's just ridiculous because you think they'd be so much the security would be so much tighter on the scripts for an entire season. I mean, the season hadn't even begun yet. And I had all the scripts for, for it. Have, it, it. have you felt comfortable? Like when you're either doing these extended universe books, like supernatural or uh, nightmare or novelizations, have you ever had a situation where you feel like, Oh, I'm not super, uh, I'm not super in tune yet to this world like because it sounds like with resident evil you knew the continuity pretty well have you had any projects where you're like oh i need to like learn about spongebob or whatever <laughs> yeah I, I did a a, a, a no novelization of the video game defender not, not the video game okay. from when i was a kid but the computer game that came out like a decade or two after that and i'm not a i'm not a big game player i just don't i just don't like them 
that much. It's mm-hmm. so I it's like, oh God, I've got this game. I got there, and I was supposed to write a sequel to the video game. And I'm like, okay, so I ran out and I got the video game, and my daughter was really young then. She's like 27 now. And so I hooked up the game to the VCR so I could tape all the interstitial scenes as she played where they're talking. Oh my God. Yeah. And I had, her, <laughs> I had her play it for me. So she could like it, like get a sense of what sounds did, you know, the, the thing make. And then I found a cheat book that described how it actually ends. And I was like, Oh my God, she drives the moon into the earth. And that's how she <laughs> destroys, you know, because humanity's already left the earth. They've settled the solar system. So well, she destroys course. the aliens by, by destroying earth. And I'm like, well, thank God I found this book because <laughs> they didn't give me anything. Uh, so that one, yeah, I really had to learn about the, the world of the game so that I could figure out how to write a sequel to it. That is so odd. The, so the, <laughs> the sh- sequel was in a, post moon crash to earth world yes yeah i, I have it start off with the, the the they're commemorating the destruction of earth by creating um uh, oh it was a, i think a hologram of the moon the Earth's still there it's a big molten slag i actually emailed a science fiction writer who works for nasa and i said uh what would happen if you did this and he said oh the earth would be fine I mean, the ecosystem would be torched, but here's what it would be like. Right. They, the, yeah, they have a holographic moon they put up. They don't have the power to make it as big, but it's like a little, I don't know, commemorative thing that they put up. And so they have the the pilot there who saved humanity from these aliens. And so I began with that. It's fascinating to me that there was, I mean, it sounds like an amazing read, I, I want to say, but it's fascinating to me that there was, that this was commissioned, a book sequel to a video game. Yep. Yeah, I don't know who came up with the idea, but... You would think that someone who made a video game who wanted a sequel would make a video game. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of Halo books. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of Resident Evil books that are video game world. Mm -hmm. There's an appetite for them. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, Tim, what do you have? uh, You you were talking about uh, the Writing in the Dark workbook. What's What's the general idea there uh what, what what do you want our listeners to know about yeah uh, a couple of years ago i came out with writing in the dark which is you know how to write horror everything i know about writing horror and a lot of people enjoyed uh the the the, the tiny exercises that i had at the end of each chapter and so i made a whole workbook out of them and so far mm-hmm. people seem to find it useful it's only been out for a bit but the reaction so far is pretty good um a month or so ago, I had my uh, uh, latest tie-in come out. It's called Planet Havoc, and it's an original story set in the zombie side invader mm-hmm. board game universe. And so that was oh. a lot of fun to write. And then next month, I have an original horror novel coming out called We Will Rise, and it's a ghost apocalypse. Ghosts come up all over the world and start killing people. Here's a freebie. How's there <laughs> never been a fictional story about a person teaming up with their own ghost? It's true. They did. They did do that on uh, 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 what we do in the shadows, because the the, the, oh, all the, right. the vampires found out that when they died, you know, they were resurrected, but their ghosts actually went to the afterlife, and so they got to meet their own ghosts in one episode. But that's not the same as teaming up. So, yeah. Team well, up then uh, you know what? I did come up with that like twelve years ago and never did anything with it. And this is the punishment. You just see it realized in the world. So. Yeah, but not the same one. Tim, thank you so much for for coming on to talk to us. It's uh, really, really interesting to sort of experience this book and then also get your perspective on on what this world is like. Do you have any uh, 
any novelizations that you think might be on the horizon or should we just keep an ear out? Yeah, just keep an ear out because you never know. Uh, it just depends on when the, you know, the, the publishers get a contract and it's time to start looking for people. So you just never know. They just show up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our, to to our, our other guest, Jesse, who's not usually with us, where should, uh, where should people find you? Why should they find you and what do you have to offer? <laughs> I can't speak to why at all. Uh, but <laughs> it's, if you can, you want to find me on, uh, on Twitter, God help me, or um, Letterboxd, which is a more civilized, relatively environment. I'm on there in the, under the name Rock Marooned. You know, for those fans of the movie Jerry, um, I don't, well, yeah, as to why, I don't know. Because I, I, I mostly talk about movies. I try not to like talk about too much other stupid stuff, just the stupid stuff about movies. So, <laughs> Hannah Blackman, you, um, you're still everywhere you were last week? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. You, you haven't me. retired. You haven't retired from anything. You haven't, <laughs> no, I haven't anything changed my name and I haven't, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you haven't Same retired from me. public life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, now for, of course, one of my very normal endings to our episodes where I quote, as we are a literature podcast and we do love literature, I'm going to uh, quote a famous piece of literature. Please do tweet at me if you can recognize what this is from. All right, here we go. Hey, what are you reading? It looks really enticing. Oh, it's this novelization about a woman who... Finds old friends, but also makes new friends pretty much everywhere she goes. It's teaching me a lot about how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> so, yeah, tweet at me if you know what book that's from. Every and, time uh, you do one of those, it, like, hurts a little more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a great night. <laughs> I'm going to start with you. A quick, fun little game. 60 seconds. Please describe everything you can remember from Resident Evil 1. Go. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so Alice wakes up in a house. She has no idea who she is. She's confused. She puts on a very cute red dress. She goes out into her house, and she gets, like, attacked by cops who are like, you shouldn't be here. There's a whole thing coming. You have to come with us. So they, and also Matt is there. He's pretending to be a cop, but he's not a cop, as we learn later. He's faking. He's an eco-terrorist. Anyway, so they're like, you're coming with us. We're going down into the hive. And she's like, hive? And they're like, it's the Umbrella Corporation's whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to run out of time because I need to remember this movie too well. Um, so they go down, and it's spooky and empty, and nobody's there, and they don't know why. They're walking through hallways. And then they get to a laser tunnel, but they don't know it's a laser tunnel yet. They go in, they turn on the Red Queen, and she's like... I'm here to kill everybody because I want to contain a toxin. She kills some people in the laser thing. They're like, ah, oh, we got to get out of here. This is really bad. They're running around. People are getting bit. People are getting eaten. They let out all the zombies because they have reset the security system. That's out of how. time. Um, okay. Ah! Now, I only got like half I mean, that's the, the best this is going to go. <laughs> Hannah, when I asked you to do this same thing and try to recall what happened in Good Burger 2, 
<laughs> you were like, they worked at a burger place. <laughs> I, I have a deep connection to Resident Evil 1. That movie is very important. I expect to me. the rest of this to be an absolute shit show. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jesse Hassinger, 60 seconds on the clock. Oh, what boy. do you remember about Resident Evil Apocalypse Go? Mila Jovovich is in a towel. Then she's walking outside <laughs> in a towel. She's on the streets of Raccoon City. It's been destroyed. Yada, yada, yada. She meets some other people, I think. They're in a building at some point. Uh, someone's mm-hmm. gonna. Someone's. Great. Someone's gonna. I don't need the whole. I don't need the whole amount of time. Someone's gonna drop a bomb on the city, and then she runs down the side of a building, and there is a. And then there is a bomb that explodes, and she's okay, but I don't know why. That's it. But what's the what's the ridiculous sequel hook? Because they all have. Them. Uh, yeah, I don't even remember. She doesn't. Does the towel come back? Who knows? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I guess does, does the virus get out at the end? I don't. I'm not sure. All right, so I'll stop the I clock. Think, yeah, they bomb the, Raccoon City, and they're like, "Oh no, that yeah. made it worse. It made the virus <laughs> yeah. airborne." The sequel hook <laughs> is maybe what of two is that she gets uh, kidnapped by Umbrella and then is released back into the world, but she's like secretly a sleeper cell for Umbrella, and uh, then it never really pays off. Right? Um, don't remember that. <laughs> Hannah Blackman, sixty seconds on the cro- yeah. clock. Tell me anything about Resident Evil Extinction Go. Uh, it's in the desert. She's like, in the desert, the world is a desert now. Um, she meets up with Ali Larder, who is like running a convoy of people. Carlos is there, played by Oded Fair, who's very hot. There's zombie crows. They... Nope, that's it. That's all I have. I don't know what happens at the end. Jesse, we got 35 seconds. What do you have for Ashanti this gets her eyes pecked out, or maybe she gets killed by crows. I remember when I saw it at 19th Street in New York City, people applauded when that happened. It was very <laughs> mean. Uh, <laughs> there's... I, yeah, I don't... I uh, The... the I feel like she shows up at Umbrella at the end of uh, at the end of it, right? Like I don't, I don't even. I even, this is like one of my favorites, and I still don't. Remember. I just remember this. Did they go to Alaska? Yeah, thing? maybe they they go to Alaska. They, they re- That's why Alice has. Yeah, that yeah, and it's like Vegas. I remember there's Vegas stuff. They're in the de- the submerged Vegas mm. desert. Um, I don't. All know. right. So before we do this next one, I do want to clarify <laughs> that that extinction is the one where everyone's talking about Alaska and. Afterlife is the one where she goes and realizes it sucks. Classic postgraduate thing. (laughs) (laughs) With that little bit of of assistance, Jesse, 60 seconds on the clock. Resident Evil, Afterlife, go. Uh, At the beginning, there's lots of Milos Jovovich's, and they attack Umbrella, and that's it. They're going to fucking end this right now. And then there's like a rain of gunfire, and they go out a window, and there's just Milos everywhere. And... I think she has superpowers. I think that she develops an mm-hmm, extinction, mm-hmm. but then I think Wexer or somebody stabs her and takes away the superpowers again. And however it winds up, they end up back in some crummy city in a trapped in a building, like in a, like a Romero zombie movie. Uh, and they have to try to make their way out of that building or through that building. And then she fights a guy in a basement who's real big and has a hammer. Um, and mm-hmm. Allie Larder is also there too. She hooks mm-hmm. back up with her. Um, and Omar Epps died in the third one, <laughs> so never mind. Uh, <laughs> Eight uh, seconds. Yeah, uh, and then they end up going to a boat. They they go to find the survivors on the boat, and then it's going to be a big fucking throwdown at the end of that. 
Out of time. Um, yes, at the, at the beginning of that one, all of the clones are killed. That's part of it, right? Yes, yes. And then the villain, the human villain in the high rise is a is a movie producer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Classic. Okay, 60 seconds on the clock. Only two of these to go. Hannah Blackman, Resident yeah. Evil, Retribution, go. Uh, they're on the boat. They fight. Allie Larder finds her brother, who's Wentworth Miller. Is yeah. That they leave the boat and wait how do they get into all the different places because this is the movie where there's like a pre where it's like mila and she's like a mom jesse you may assist if you you go go ahead i'm so lost how these two pieces connect they're they're captured right uh are they captured in that big battle ultimately this and then she wakes up again and she's and she's in the suburbs and has and doesn't temporarily does not remember her old life and it but something's amiss and it's as if she's back in the suburbs from if, like what she is supposed oh, yeah. to be her old, maybe she even kind of remembers that it's her old life and it's like oh i guess this was all a terrible dream that yeah. kind of dynamic and then she realizes and it's like her and jill because she's rescued yeah. jill, and they're like running through tunnels and other guys show up and you're like, I don't know who that is. Am I supposed to? Out of time. Um, and Rain is there. And, <laughs> and she's, okay, she campaigned uh, against gun control or for gun, for gun control. She says that. I remember that. Last one. Jesse Hasinger. This should be easy. <laughs> Welcome to Raccoon City. Oh no. 60 seconds. That makes more 60 sense. seconds. Shit. Here we go. Shit. Uh, the um, girl from Skins, who, who is, I think is Claire, comes back KS yeah, Romero, love her. Uh, <laughs> she comes back from uh, being away for a long time. Comes back to her shitty hometown. It's like you know, it's, nobody's there. Her brother is still there. They argue. There's a shitty diner, <laughs> um, and there's an outbreak of zombie. Like in the mean, like you're sort of intercut with some guys going to the mansion to to investigate something, and. Uh, Jesus Christ, there's an awesome scene with like a journey song in a car with a sheriff. Um, And they go, I think they eventually all wind up. It takes a long time, but they all converge on the mansion and then go into like the underground passage and fight some fight some zombies. And there's like a tunnel out of there. And I don't I don't know. I even know what the sequel is. And I actually kind of. Yeah. Neil McDonough. Gets oh, like yeah. And it becomes has like. Yeah. A yeah. And then they just kill him. Kind of like that movie, but I don't remember. <laughs> And I we're out. While I was working, <laughs> and I just didn't pay. I just need attention. to know. Like they would say names. Like one of the characters in the movie is Wesker. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, Wait, what? he like because he gets Weskerized like, um, at the end. He like puts on the glasses, and you're supposed to yeah. be like, whoa, <laughs> he's gonna be the. It's the kind yeah. of yeah. Oh, it's that stuff is bad. Um, <laughs> and and Jill Valentine's in it. She's like a cop, right? Jill Valentine's a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, we're going just blatantly ignoring the time limit. I want to. No, know- no, it's good. I, I, you know, there's. This is a made-up game, so we're good. Um, what, uh, Hannah? What's your grudge against the delightful star of Crawl, Kaya Scovelaria? I like her in Crawl. It's really unfair. It's not her fault, and it really has nothing to do with her. But Benjamin Walker, her husband, uh-huh. um, I love and think he's fantastic. And I went to see him a lot in New York. Oh, you did like shows. Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, etc. Yeah. yeah, and he did shows at Joe's Pub, and they were super fun, and I made a bunch of friends going to those shows or whatever, and, like, he was always very nice. And during that period, he got divorced to Mamie, from Mamie Gummer, and just, like, I watched him have a breakdown, <laughs> and it was so <laughs> uncomfortable. And then, like, two months later, was like, I'm engaged to this 22-year-old! And me, uh, me and my friends were just like, oh, no, this is a, this is a bad uh-huh. call, man. We're worried about you. Um, 
but it's worked out and i'm fucking curious <laughs> that they just like found love on a shitty yeah. ass movie she's 22 now they have two kids and he like barely works because <laughs> she's like carrying yeah, the money. Yeah. one for every uh. 11 years she was alive um <laughs> it's so yeah it's not fair to her i think she's perfectly fine it just like seeing her makes me so no it mad. weirded me out when I, I was like she's married she's like i mean like obviously she's an adult because i've seen i didn't really watch skins and i have seen her in movies where she's a grown-up but uh, it was confusing to me. Um, very confusing. Yeah, she's like a full child bride. <laughs> and then, so the, and then, the, <laughs> and then the missing piece of the puzzle was that movie that never came out until January. And yeah, it's, I uh, watched it on a plane, uh-huh, and it's perfect. a stain on my existence. <laughs> it didn't exist. It made my life meaningfully worse. <laughs> Unseemly. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's just terrible. It's just a terrible what. What movie film. are we talking about? It's The, the King's, King's Daughter. Daughter. It has an insane cast. It has like Pierce Brosnan. K.S. Cordillero, Benjamin Walker, Pablo Schreiber, somebody like, ro- not Robert Duvall, but like that level guy. Like it's just yeah, an yeah. insane cast, it's like a Chinese production. It has a mermaid in it. It's just trash. It sucks. It's, it's so bad. It's, and it, like watching it, I was like really hoping it was going to be like crazy. Yeah. And it's like not really that crazy. It's just like mildly strange. Everybody has like terrible wigs and it's weird. And it's just <laughs> Ross like, plays Louis the, Louis the 14th, doesn't he? Yeah. It's <laughs> the really, role he really was born bizarre. To play. Yeah. And the premise of that movie is like, what if Louis the Fourteenth had a bastard daughter, but she was like hot and everyone loved her? <laughs> I just like <laughs> loathe it. Uh, Sounds like something I might actually like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you watch it and you let me know. But I, I was like, this is Drek. Like the only place I might like this movie is on a plane, <laughs> and it's not working it there. It didn't work. Yeah. It's, if it's not working there, it's not working anywhere. Well, what a fun game. That's definitely over. Just kidding, Andrew Overby. <gasps> Resident Evil, the final chapter in 60 seconds. Go. All right. So Alice, at the end of the last movie, she was left in Washington, D.C. She was going to make the humanity's last stand, but then we just skipped past it. Something happened between her and Wesker. She's really mad. She leaves D.C. She gets picked up by a transport driven by uh, Isaacs from the previous movies, uh, and he is dragging people behind the transports to get the the, the lead, the undead, into Raccoon City, Uh, and she escapes from the transport. She meets up with Allie Larder, who hasn't been there in a couple movies, and they she has a whole crew and like a boyfriend and they go into uh the hive from the first movie and they're uh, i got 25 seconds they go into the hive and she gets an antivirus right because there's an antidote that the red queen told her about because the red queen's a good guy now and she kills no she tries to kill isaacs but actually the isaacs clone shows up because the first one was a clone kills isaacs she gets the antivirus and releases it and then at the end she finds her fake daughter in washington dc and she rides off and there's a weird sequel hook even though it's the end and that's zero yes okay well in the movie she doesn't find her weird daughter so you're wrong (laughs) oh i mean fair i think we can both we can all agree that that was the most challenging of the seven though (laughs) you but you left out the bad smell that everything uh, oh what do i remember uh everything smells bad and then she goes here and it smells worse and (laughs) (laughs) 